from E3 and wherever you are, whenever you are, and however you happen to be listening, we're so glad you've chosen to tune in to DLC, especially if you're one of our geeks and sneaks using this podcast to power you through a workout or a run, have no fear, we're going to be with you in your ear holes for 90 plus minutes of gaming goodness because DLC is your downloadable commentary for the week, delivered the way we love it to be. And that is completely free thanks to our sponsors this week, Warby Parker, RX Bar, and Casper. They bring the show to you, DLC, of course, the show all about games. Games this week all about E3. It's a very special episode, and I'm your host, Jeff Kanata. That's spelled with two N's and one T. And I'm joined, as always, by my friend slash co-host slash nemesis, the guy who's one of my favorite dads. On this Father's Day, Mr. Christian Spicer. Hello, Christian. Hello, Jeff. Yeah, we are recording on Father's Day evening here in California. Hello, and uh, hopefully everybody had a fantastic Father's Day. Uh, yeah, um, yeah. I'll just leave it at that. It's uh, sometimes it's a tough world. Um, but hopefully everybody had a great Father's Day. Happy to be doing this show. Me too. Me too. And this is a special episode. We had two. I hope you guys listened uh, last week. We had two special episodes about all of the E3 press conferences with all of our impressions uh, of the of the press conferences. But we had an entire week downtown in Los Angeles at the E3 convention, playing games, getting hands-on. So this is our annual wrap-up. And I'm so glad to have our annual guest. You know that DLC always stands for your downloadable Kanata and your downloadable Christian. This week, I'm very excited because it stands for dads who lived through the conference because <laughs> we have yet another dad as well as writer, consultant, and our usual E3 wrap-up guest. I'm so happy. One of my favorite people. Ben Silverman is back with us. Hey, Ben. Hey, how you guys doing? Happy Father's Day. Happy Father's Day to the fathers. Happy Father's Day to the mothers who made Father's Day probably uh, pleasurable for all of us. Indeed. Uh, we, would, we would have done nothing on our own. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I got we have three dads here now talking about games. We were all at E3, and we're not going to have our usual – structure of show. We're not going to have our usual segments this week. It's going to be all E3 all the time. And we'll start the show the way we always do with story of the, I'm sorry, I wasn't listening. What are we doing? No, we're doing E3 baby. So we got to start the show with the hype train. That train is uh, just about to enter the tunnel for another year, but before it does, we got to talk about all of the big games, and there's tons to talk about. So I, I thought we'd just sort of meander our way through this, the biggest stuff that we saw, the things that we played, and then at the end of the show, of course, we will try to figure out what is the official DLC game of the show. Uh, it's always a, a tough discussion every year. I think this year might be even tougher than most. We shall find out. But uh, I'll start, I'll just throw it out to you, Ben. Why don't you bring up uh, a game, it doesn't have to be your favorite game of the show, maybe uh, just a game you'd like to start talking about, and we'll take the discussion from there. Uh, this was a good E3. I'm going to go ahead and say it. Yeah. Um, there were a lot of high-quality games. I, it, you know, it wasn't maybe a great show for uh, VR or indie or some of the things that have been big the last couple of years, but I think across the board, AAA really came this year there was a lot of high quality stuff from from every publisher every developer um 
I know there are some games that are like, you know, absolutely going to be, you know, best in show contenders. Uh, one of them for me, I, I want to talk about the game that really maybe stole my heart at the show, which is Ghost of Tsushima. Yeah. Um, Jeff and I were sitting next to each other uh, at Sony's press conference when they revealed that. And that was right after we had endured that insane Last of Us Part Two fake church kill room nightmare. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. So I, I don't know if they could have done a better 180 because we just we walked into this big theater and sat down and we're like, they have to turn this around. Like, this is the worst press conference ever. Not to mention we baked in the sun for a little while before it. <laughs> That's because right. We, we were both too uh, excited to get into their press conference that we were like right at the front of the line. And they started letting people in and we walked like 10 feet and then they stopped the line. And we walked from out from <laughs> we were under a tent, cozy, yeah. eating some like snacks to like just standing in the blazing sun for 15 minutes. We thought we were being very smart and we were being very, very stupid. <laughs> really, really stupid. So we were I think we were just or at least I was in a really I was in a bad place when we walked into that second big real normal theater uh, for the press conference and Ghost of Tsushima comes up and uh, it, it just totally took my breath away. Um, yeah. We talk about uh, games being influenced by cinema. We talk about cinematic games. We talk about um, new experiences. Um, and maybe what I think attracted me the most to this game was the space that it allowed itself to live in, that it, it gave itself space. It gave itself moments. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't just running around murdering things. There was a lot of murder for sure. And that's what you get out of a uh, Tishiro Mifune film or, an Akira Kurosawa film that there obviously is the big influence there, but uh, there's also a lot of tension. There's a lot of uh, downtime. There's a lot of intense staring and they, they, they leaned into it. They had incredibly beautiful uh, visual treatments and great framing. And it just, it was, I didn't know anything about that game. And then all of a sudden it's like, wow, they're doing sucker punch of all people are, are doing this game. And yeah. uh, later on in the show, when I actually got an up close look at that uh, same demo, it just, it completely blew me away. I mean, do you guys feel the same way or am I alone in this? Oh, no. I, I mean, it is serious contender for me for Game of the Show. It is uh, absolutely stunning to look at. You're so right how it evokes all of those wonderful samurai films and that entire history of samurai cinema. And uh, behind closed doors, we got a, it's the same stuff that they showed at the uh, at the press conference, but it was a little more discussion around it. And uh, they were talking about, the developers from Sucker Punch were talking about how there's movement in every shot. You know, the trees are moving, the leaves are moving, the grass is moving. And that is directly Kurosawa. I mean, that is directly lifted. I mean, they acknowledge it, that they wanted to evoke those feelings that you always see in those shots of, of these beautiful, breathtaking Japanese vistas. And, um, and the crazy thing they mentioned behind closed doors also is everything you see in that uh, trailer, in that uh, demonstration for E3 is not main story stuff this it's a side quest you're watching a mm -hmm. side quest which is crazy like we didn't want to show any of the mainline story stuff yet but it seemed you know so uh, dramatic and uh impactful it felt like it was the main story of the game but no that was that was merely a side quest that has me very encouraged they seem to be it seems to be a very much a labor of love for these guys and another thing that's interesting is you know sony who is publishing the game is a Japanese company, and here is a very Western developer doing a game for a Japanese publisher set in Japan, in J Japan's history. I think that's a really bold, interesting thing, and 
you know, they, they talk directly about this and how much they revere that time period, how much they take seriously the history and, and cultural relevance of the samurai, you know, mythos and uh, how Sony is being very supportive and helpful with them. It's, I just, I, like you, was totally blown away by it and um, can't wait to get my hands on it. Yeah, I think one thing that, that stood out when, when Sucker Punch was talking about that was also how much they're, how closely they're working with Sony Japan, that they're actually, you know, working with another studio, making sure that everything uh, is, you know, on point, that they're, they're being respectful and they're treating the subject matter the right way. And that is something that, you know, people were concerned with when they heard Sucker Punch was making a game that is, is so distinctly Japanese. And it's easy to kind of say, well, yeah, it's a Western developer. This could go south quick. Uh, it's not going south. It is, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it is. Yeah. I, it, I don't think that game could have shown better. And I, there, there's still obviously huge questions about, you know, how much is it open world Bushido Blade? How much is it that right. I just have these one hit kills? And, you know, they had a lot of sword play that looked like it might be a little, um, I don't know, f- overly familiar, you know, climbing up on things and kind of assassins creeding around. And yeah, uh, it's a little hard to tell where, where the gameplay goes. But, you know, E3, you're not looking at a final game. You're looking at a kind of a proof of concept and, and here's what we're doing and here's where we're moving. And of all the games to show, barring one or two others that I'm sure we're going to talk about, this was the one that that I just wanted to grab out of the PS4 and run home and play. Yeah, me too. And they talked about how they they were mapping each individual splatter of blood. And if you saw blood on a character's face in a cutscene, it's because it landed there from another moment. And, and you know they keep track of that kind of thing. It's pretty wild stuff. Uh, they also talked about how they didn't want to create just an E3 trailer they wanted to just carve out a little piece of the game that they're working on and show it so it very much is the game uh which i'm excited about and that all that stealth stuff that sort of assassin's creed thing that you mentioned ben um that it's sort of justified because it's very much not you know not the samurai uh code of ethics you know it's very much not honorable to stab someone in the back or sneak up on them uh, according to samurai but that is explained in the context of the fiction as well i don't know it just seems like everything they're doing is right. It's very much a kind of game that I love playing. So it was scratching all my itches. Um, Christian, what was your impression? I love Sucker Punch. I've, I've loved pretty much everything they've done. So I'm excited to, you know, see their new game. I'm very excited for this game, but I'm honestly surprised at the love that you and Ben and others seem to be giving it. While I think it looks phenomenal, it, it looks like more of the same it's weird like i'm i'm high on the game but i don't understand why everybody else is so high on it to me it looks like it, it's batman or it's spider-man um it's assassin's creed uh it looks great but it looks kind of like horizon zero dawn like there's it's a third person open world action game that looks like it has batman combat and traversal and all the things you've said about this game um i think horizon zero dawn has and did also and so that was our i think our game of the year that year so i think it's it makes sense maybe why you'd be excited about it. But to me, this looks like another one of these air quote Sony games, right? Where it's Days Gone, Ghost of Tsushima, Last of Us 2, Spider-Man, God of War to some extent, Horizon Zero Dawn. And I think it looks phenomenal, but to me it looked more like, a yeah, this is a sucker punch game. They just put it in a ancient Japan. Um, so I don't quite understand why you're higher on this game than maybe... Uh, Spider-Man or Days Gone or any of the other similar looking games to me. Jeff. Just because I want to be in that time period and I want to experience that place and th- that setting. And it looks so gorgeous that 
you know, I, I like a very specific kind of game. I mean, I, I like third person action RPGs. Um, so I'm not worried about it being another one of those that I already like, right. <laughs> uh, but I, but I, I don't want, I mean, I'm less excited uh, about days gone, for example, because it's like, I, you know, I feel like I've done post-apocalyptic za- zombies uh, over and over. And I don't think I've, I've done, you know, rural Japan in a very specific time period. Uh, it just feels fresh from a setting and historical perspective. And, uh, it looks to have all of that polish and attention to detail that I appreciate. The acting looks awesome. Uh, and they were showing it behind closed doors. Also, they were showing it with, uh, Japanese, um, uh, voiceover performances, which I think is kind of an interesting way. So it could feel actually like a, you know, you could watching an old samurai movie. That was, yeah, way awesome. better. that was way better by the way, than, than when it was, it had the English voiceovers. Cause it, it, it felt to me like Yojimbo or yeah. seven samurai. Like I felt like I was, I was going to be able to play that game. I was going to be able to play Yojimbo. And like, I, I've, you know, there've been other games set in feudal Japan in that, you know, kind of era, but, but when's the last time you were, you were able to really experience it like this and, you know, I, yeah, I hear what Christian's saying. I think there's some, you know, you're saying a lot of truths there just about Sony's love with third person open world games. That's, they keep making it, but something about this one felt different. Something about this one felt informed by uh, the history of film in a way that those other games uh, don't feel. And that's maybe what, what was exciting to me. Do you think we get an officially licensed hip hop soundtrack? Because that would really push this up on my must list. Like, <laughs> I don't know, Christian. It's hard to rhyme anything with Tsushima. Well, they don't. <laughs> they don't have to just rhyme just with the title of the game. <laughs> but the hip hop and you know samurai love affair is certainly nothing new, and I think that would be awesome. I think they're doing. They're showing the care for all of that in film, and I like the way. I think even when it's Japanese voice acting, will have English subtitles. But I believe what they said the the Mongolians are not subtitled because they want you to know what it feels like to not have understand. an alien yeah have an alien invader yeah pretty quiet yeah pretty wild. and so i think if they you know i wouldn't be surprised if at some level we either get a six string samurai style soundtrack or maybe some uh wu-tang or something like that but it does it seems like they've done all of their homework <laughs> i'd be surprised at the wu-tang but that would be an interesting ghost ghost face ghost face killer I mean, yeah, of right Tsushima. There. Right there. Yeah. yeah. I don't I can't tell if you guys are making jokes about hip hop and uh samurai going well together because I mean it hundred percent. No, it's... I know. I just think that I, I think they're gonna try to go a little I mean the fact that they had a uh a, a, a flautist on stage, I, I think maybe indicates where this the headspace yeah. is for these oh, guys. Sh- I don't think it'll be the like the launch OST for it, but I think <laughs> I could see like an unofficial mixtape coming out later or something like that, or like Sony pushing that. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, Christian, you want to you wanna throw out a game to, to bring up for conversation? Yeah, I'm going to go a smaller route while there are certainly other huge games I want to talk about. Um, one game that I want to talk about is I saw it uh, when I toured the 505 booth in their suite of games. I probably want to talk about all of their games. But the one I'm going to start with, because I haven't seen or heard too much about it, is Indivisible, mm-hmm. which is um, a Metroid. I played it for about 25 minutes. So it's a Metroidvania in the sense that it's one map, you're exploring, getting new items to backtrack, this, that, and the other. But then when you engage in combat with an enemy on screen, it instantly cuts to, or I shouldn't say cuts, it instantly snaps to 
uh, an RPG battle system. So it's this beautiful, um, like hand drawn art, Metroidvania world with uh, the score from the person who scored Secret of Mana. So it sounds awesome. It looks great. And then you run and jump kick this spider or whatever and you snap into RPG combat and your companions you have like this inner world inside of you where they're all kind of living as you acquire them throughout the the game. And then when you snap into combat, they fan out in like a diamond. And so each one is controlled with a face button on your controller. And so it's stuff that's somewhat been done before, but I think kind of the way Yoku's Island Express made two somewhat stale genres feel fresh to me, combining Metroidvania and pinball, the way this combined that exploration, 2d platforming, um, world adventuring with an rpg felt really really cool and not just uh, ben, an rpg right it's turn-based rpg correct sorry yeah turn-based rpg ben did you check this game out at all i didn't i missed it and i heard a, a number of people talking about that and a bunch of 505 games games like they 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 kind of quietly made a lot of noise at the show um but i did not play this game i can't, I, he- I heard great things but it it's so when you say it's turn-based you explore it like metroidvania but when you get into combat it kind of pauses yeah, it, it pauses and it, you know, zooms in on the characters in the right way. And it and it's it's straight up turn based. So if your main character and you can change your party, but your characters will be mapped to I was playing on a PlayStation controller, you know, X triangle circle square. And so it'd be, you know, triangle and you can have different moves like up in triangle uh, was a heal for this one member in my party and down in triangle, she would summon this fire and it hit the enemy and then I could do another attack from my other party member, but then it would be the enemy's turn to hit me. And it's all the things that you do in turn-based combat where one of my characters has um, a buff. You can do like a, a stacking buff for four turns, but that counts as his turn. But I build up this huge buff for all of my other heroes. And as long as I can weather the storm of the enemy's attack for those four turns or whatever, then I can come in with this huge attack that takes the enemy out. So it's a lot of that classic turn-based RPG combat. And I, I came into the game uh, a little bit into the game. Like I had party members, and then I was able to jump ahead to a boss fight where I was more powered up. Um, so I'm not exactly sure. I think Metroidvanias often live and die on map progression and backtracking and how well they handle that. Um, but it was it was really cool. And it, it was instantaneous, like going in and out of the combat. It wasn't as if things lagged and there was like a load to get you into this turn-based, turn-based combat scenario. It just the camera snapped in, you had your turn-based combat, you won, it snapped back out, and you're out adventuring through the world. Really, really cool. Again, that's called indivisible, right? Yeah. Yep. Uh, I also didn't get a chance to see that, uh, although I saw lots of stuff at 505, but um, I'm very curious about this game because I, I dig both of those genres as well and to see them mashed up. And I love this this weird mashup trend that's happening. You mentioned uh, uh, the pinball and Metroidvania. There's there's about a million of those like, it's this game and that game and they're smushed together. And I feel like there's a lot of indie games like that right now and I'm digging it. I, I like that kind of weird mashup culture hitting video games. Um, I will bring up first... Uh, a game that I owe a, a big apology to. I officially have to retract everything I said on the last episode of DLC regarding Beyond Good and Evil 2. I already did this on Twitter, but I want it to be very, very known to the audience listening to this show. If you heard me talk about Beyond Good and Evil 2 last time when we were talking about the uh, Ubisoft press conference, I expressed a lot of doubt that it would ever be a game and it 
it, it, it seemed to me the way they showed the game, the way they talked about the game, that there wasn't anything there yet, and they were showing it prematurely. Sadly, most people didn't get a chance to see, but behind closed doors, they're showing a game, and it blew mm-hmm. me away. It blew me away, and it, and it gave me a lot more confidence in the game, and I completely 180 you know, on this thing. Um, it, I am excited about Beyond Good and Evil 2. I think it is n- much nearer uh, than I anticipated. I think it's still a ways away, but it, it certainly felt like there's a game. I saw the game played in front of me in co-op live. Yeah, two uh, questions. What did they show, and why didn't they show that on stage? I don't know. <laughs> I can't answer that second question. It seems crazy. I, I know that sometimes the decisions are made at a at a weird level, and sometimes you know they want to make something feel special uh, or uh, create buzz in a different kind of way. Who knows? Uh, ben, did you have a chance to see BG Need Two behind closed doors? I did. I saw it, and the person who followed me in was Elijah Wood. So I feel like I feel like I feel like uh, you know I might have gotten a rushed demo because ah. <laughs> they kind of had to kick me out to get Elijah in there. But um, I did. I mean, I, it was I think the whole thing, and and I agree with everything you say, Jeff. It, looking at the game at the press conference, or even last year, I saw it last year in another behind closed doors thing where, where they just had all this uh, concept art, which they also had in this behind yeah. closed doors, just concept art, and they walked you through all this lore. And the whole time you're itching, just show me this game. You can't keep talking. You have to show me this game. And they did. And I, it's kind of the reason why I come to E3 is for stuff like BG&E 2, even though I think it is further out than you might think it is. I mean, they certainly had gameplay. Uh, and just to answer your question, Christian, uh, it started off with two co-op characters um, in this temple kind of infiltrating. Monkey and girl? Or yeah, monkey characters? and girl. Monkey and girl. Although yeah, it sounds girl. like every character is going to be a variation of monkey and girl because they, they just went down this big rabbit hole of like every character is a clone of these like archetype. And then these universe are all huh. clones. It's like you are working so hard to justify something that gamers just take as a given. Like, oh, I could be this character or that character. Fine. But yeah, they, ex- they explained a lot of things that did not need explanation. <laughs> right. <laughs> like again, wanting just show me this thing. Yeah. Um. So yeah, so you've got these two characters and, and they uh, are in this temple where some mad scientist is experimenting on a uh, hybrid animal human, which this world is populated by. And apparently the humans are using these hybrids for slave labor. So there's, you know, a little bit of, um, uh, you know, there's a whole kind of political non-statement statement that they, they make about this game. Um, and uh, so these uh, these two characters basically infiltrate this experiment before it happens and they get into a big fight and they showed off a bunch of gunplay and some special abilities. They were able to like slow down time and paralyze people and just like pretty standard third person combat, but it, but it was a game. Like it was, it it was, was, they were doing combat against enemies that had AI. Like I was like, Oh, okay. There's a game you've built at least, you know, (laughs) that we're, we're moving in that direction at least. Yeah, absolutely. And then where, where where the demo goes after that, though, is where it starts really yeah. uh, kind of earning its points, which is they they seamlessly, after this battle, they, they hop onto these two different vehicles. One's a hover bike, another's kind of a spaceship. And they fly out of this temple, and they fly out into the big world of uh, Ganesh. I think it's called Ganesha City. Yeah. Um, and they're just sort of flying around, and there's no load time. It's all seamless. And it's this huge city. They come up to this huge mural, and they start talking about the, you know, the ability for you know, the uh, fans to contribute art and music, which is kind of getting everyone to cringe a little bit. <laughs> We're like, yeah. you guys have a lot of money. You probably don't need um, 
to crowdsource any of your game. But uh, from there, they get into a space dogfight, or sorry, an, an aerial dogfight over a police station in this huge city. The city's really, really big. And detailed um, and bustling with yeah. activity. There's, I mean, it kind of looks like Coruscant, you know, from uh, from episode two. Um, it, flying cars everywhere and of a, a, a lot of different varieties. I mean, there's like flying dump trucks and, uh, you know, flying sports cars and all kinds of stuff. Right. It, it, yeah. It feels like a place. It, it feels right. like it's realized. It's not just a bunch of buildings with nothing in it. There's people or, you know, people or creatures flying around all over the place. They get into this dogfight and then one of them gets out of there and starts flying to outer space. And it takes a little while. Uh, and again, it's all seamless. And one thing that was really interesting is in, in this co-op demo, um, you, you don't have to be together. So it, it is some sort of shared world where one person can be in one place and another person can fly off somewhere else. And, you know, it really does feel sort of like an MMO in that sense. I don't know, you know, exactly how that online structure is going to set up. They, they didn't talk a lot about that. Uh, but you're clearly playing in like one person's world. So you would jump, jump into my world and you could do all this stuff and you could be on one end of the universe and I could be on another end and we're still in the same world. So one of the characters flies to outer space and you know you see the sort of like the the burn as they're burning into the atmosphere and then out of the atmosphere and then into outer space and they they fly to their mothership which is 50 times the size of their little spaceship it's huge and awesome and detailed and it's got you can customize everything and it's yeah you have this like giant orbiting battle station it's awesome and then you can take that and hop into that and fly that around. And they just kind of kept pulling out and zooming out further and further and doing sort of the, the no man's sky or the spore thing where you start to really see like, this is a huge interconnected universe with planets all over the place. And every one of these planets are immense and you can skim all the way down to the surface or fly all the way back out to space. So it, it, it gets all that stuff while trying to to weave in uh, a narrative, which was again the thing that was sort of missing from No Man's Sky, and one of the things that was missing from Spore is 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 making a story and characters that you in a universe that you care about and trying to infer meaning, um, you know, in a I think to some degree procedurally generated universe. Although a lot of it looked handcrafted. Yeah, um, I, I specifically asked them that, and they said they're not really talking about how how much of of what, but it is mostly like all the cities are made by a person and then they sort of procedurally generate the detritus. You know, it's sort of like, you know, we, we build cities, we build as much of it as we can and then use algorithms to fill everything out so that we're making planet sized planets. But it it is that it's exactly what I wanted from no man's sky. It's that sense of scale, but there's a there there, you know, when you go down to a planet it's been thought through by a person and it, and there's something to discover. There are things to find and quests to go on and, and all that stuff. And another thing they showed is that like you, you zoom out at a certain point and you look down on the city that you were in and it's there, you know, it's part of this continent with other cities. And there are these crazy, like giant space drawings, you know, like almost like crop circles on the city. And they say, that's one of the story beats is like deciphering this language of, of uh, hieroglyphics that are, galaxy size so that from you see them from space which i thought was a really cool detail um and all of the you know i thought the the hover bike was super rad but you always have a jetpack on you you can get in these vehicles all of the vehicles they showed in the sort of croissant style city are you know you can jump in gta style and and commandeer them and fly anything fly all of those cars are flyable and drivable um 
it just looked like exactly what I the dream of No Man's Sky was was, which is a sense of scale and galactic exploration, but with some handcrafted narrative and content that really makes the exploration worthwhile. Uh, I was very impressed with it. Yeah, it's a big project and a big idea. And I don't know how much faith, considering it's been 15 years since the first game came out. Like, yeah, they're not, they're not great at, that was supposed to be a trilogy. Beyond Good and Evil, that's right? right so yeah, fifteen years for the next one is going to be fifteen years for number three. Like they're, they're, these ideas are big and hard to do, and we've seen, again, we've mentioned No Man's Sky and Spore, and there's other ones that have tried to do this and have never really done it the way that we've ever wanted. So they're on a good path right now, and we're, we're, when you see it running, you can you can feel it more than when we're just talking about it. Um, that being said. You know, I I kind of begrudgingly kept it off my top 10 games of show list because I just don't know if they're going to get there, even though I think they have a good foundation. It just it's a long way to go to make a game with uh, that keeps you interested when it's got that kind of size and scale and and, and scope. Um, But boy, it did it did show well when you actually I, I, I think if they had walked people through that. Um, either at their press conference uh, or just had more open showing, uh, it would have gotten much better buzz. I agree. Uh, you know, the, I, I think your skepticism is well-founded and I think it certainly is not close, but I just thought, I thought it was vaporware. I really thought it was, uh, you know, just the idea of a game that they made some trailers for. And I came away going, oh no, there's a game here. It still has a long way to go, but you know, they were talking about systems, you know, like um, Ben mentioned that in the combat, they had certain effects that you could attach to uh, attacks, like you could, you know, slow time and certain things. And then you were also able to apply those effects to parts of your ship. So in the combat, the sort of dogfighting combat, you could shoot slowing down effects and stuff too. So there are these mods that are really seem like a really interesting system that will define how the game the combat works both on an interpersonal level and in the space combat. I thought that was cool. And there was a bunch of this customization stuff that they showed where you could build your ship out of these component parts and make it how you want, paint it how you want, add decals and all kinds of stuff, which is pretty par for the course. But the the level of variety of making things your own seemed really, really impressive. And then just the sense of scale because – you're not just making, you know, your spaceship your own. You're making this gigantic battle cruiser your own. And you're, you know, you're, it, it really felt like you had so much impact on this very dramatic scaled world. Um, I, it made me very excited for what they're working on and hopeful that they're able to deliver on this vision. Are you buying any of this, Christian? I mean, I, I talked to Jeff shortly after he saw it, so I, I I definitely buy it because I saw the wonder in his eyes. Like, I could still see <laughs> the gameplay playing back off his retinas or whatever. Uh, last week's show, I was the one telling Jeff that I think this is going to be a very real game, that this is from someone I don't remember that. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. There's no tape. There's no proof of that. Bystradamus strikes again one week later. Um <laughs> You know, this is from a a developer who has made incredible games. It is from a publisher that has a track record of making five huge open world games every year. (laughs) You know, like if there is a studio with resources to do it and a a lead, 
um, I will assume talented enough to get it done. I think it's beyond good and evil too. Whether or not they will fully populate that world with enough interesting stuff to do, I, I think that's a great question, Ben. I mean, I feel that way even in a game I love, Horizon Zero Dawn. It's like there was a lot to do in it, but a lot of it was a lot of nothing to do, if that makes sense. You know, that's the problem of open world games. And we'll get to it again, I think, later in today's show as well. Um, but yeah, I, I think this, you know, I think this game is coming. Whether or not it meets the ambition they have for it, I don't know. But I think this game is coming as soon as, or perhaps even sooner than many of the other games we saw at this E3. Well, we're going to talk about many of those other games, including Cyberpunk 2077, which we have to get to. But I do need to take a second and thank our sponsor, Warby Parker. I have, uh, what, five pairs of glasses now in my in my home, in my possession. All of them are Warby Parker. I b- believe in Warby Parker. I love their frames. Mostly I like the fact that I don't have to spend a fortune to get a new pair of glasses. Uh, the glasses that I wore, I have sunglasses. I have prescription glasses. All Warby Parker. I I really like this company a lot. And uh, the, the great thing about Warby Parker is their glasses start at 95 bucks. That's including prescription lenses. That's not just the frame. That's including your prescription. And that's amazing. I mean, most their, their, their line is glasses shouldn't cost as much as your phone. And that's true. People spend a fortune on prescription glasses. And oftentimes, you know, you're wearing your glasses, you're taking them on, you're taking them off, you're leaving them around, you're beating them up. They break, they scratch, they get messed up. You want to be able to get new ones at a, at a, you know, when, when things go wrong, you, you don't want to have to think that, oh my God, I need to take a mortgage out of my home to get a pair of glasses. That's what's so great about Warby Parker because these are high quality glasses that look great, have a bunch of cool stylish frame designs, but they're not going to kill you when it comes to buying them. And that, oh man, it makes me so happy. Plus, you can feel good about Warby Parker because for every pair that you buy, they distribute a pair of glasses to someone in a pair of glasses to someone in need. That's just awesome. That makes you feel good about you know, giving them your money because they're giving back. They're, they're actually giving glasses to people that need them. There's an iTunes app for Warby Parker. So you can actually, uh, you know, look through their selection of frames. They are always rotating in new cool styles. I really dig them. I'm so happy with my new sunglasses. Anybody that saw my Instagram photos of me, uh, on father's day, saw me wearing my, my Warby Parker sunglasses. I dig them because they're prescription lenses, but they're sunglasses so nice not to have to put my contacts in to, uh, you know, go out in the sun. Really, really nice. And it's so easy to select the, the glasses. I mean, that the one thing you, you know, you might be worried about with using an online service like Warby Parker is not being able to know if it looks right with your face. I mean, my face doesn't look great in every kind of glasses. But Warby Parker has a cool at-home try-on system. So what you do is you get, you select uh, up to five frames online or on their app. They send them to you. You try them on. You check them out. You look in the mirror. You decide which one. You get the opinion of your your uh, your loved ones. And then you send those back and you, you make a decision. And it's all free. They don't charge you for that service. You can ch- check out those frames and make sure you're going to look good in your frames. I've done that. I've done that maybe four times now. I love it. I love it. I love it. So give them a shot. Uh, Warby Parker, 
is uh, is great. If you go to warbyparker.com slash DLC, you can do the free home try-on program. You order five pairs of glasses, try them on for five days. There's no obligation to buy. It ships free and includes a prepaid return shipping level. All you got to do is head to warbyparker.com slash DLC to order your free home try-on today. Give it a shot. If you wear glasses, this is the way to go. All right, guys. Uh, let's no longer bury the lead, and let's talk about Cyberpunk 2077. Um, ben and I, again, were sitting right next to each other uh, during our <laughs> Cyberpunk uh, meeting behind closed doors. Uh, Cyberpunk has come out of E3, I think, with most of the uh, Game of Show awards. It has gotten a lot of buzz, and rightfully so. I mean, this is CD Projekt Red, the makers of The Witcher and The Witcher 2 and The Witcher 3, uh, some of the best third-person action role-playing games of all time, in my opinion. Um, and they have been working on this for years now. We knew about it several years ago, but they've been very quiet, very radio silent about uh, about uh, Cyberpunk 2077. And it also has a lot of buzz because it's based on a very popular old tabletop role-playing game. So it has a pedigree of of nostalgia as well. And what they showed, I think, was very surprising to people. Uh, there was a 50-minute or so uh, behind-closed-doors all-gameplay reveal, very reminiscent of the way Witcher 3 was, was debuted at a, at a E3 many years ago uh, with an hour-long of gameplay. And, uh, you know, it shows a lot of what we can expect from this game. Surprised a lot of people that it is a first-person shooter, um, reminded me very much of Deus Ex. You know, it is in a future world, sort of uh, the future that people in the '80s imagined. You know, it's a, it's if the '80s invented the future, um, which is kind of a fun, interesting look and feel. And uh, this is an extended, lengthy gameplay experience with a very complex-looking, uh, dense, densely populated world. Uh, with no loading times. I was very impressed by that. And uh, they showed quite a bit of story content, quite a bit of shooty content. Ben, what did you think of Cyberpunk 2077? It's been a roller coaster, man. It's been a roller coaster. <laughs> we, we both walked out of that demo, and I think the very first thing I said to you was, boy, there's a lot to unpack here. And yeah. then we both kind of started griping about the writing and the voice work. Yeah. Um, which is a totally weird place to start when you've just gotten through a 50-minute demo showing so much incredible gameplay. Um, and so that was kind of my first reaction. I was just kind of not enthused by... Uh, there was a lot of over-the-top swearing. I'm not a prude at all. I like swearing. I swear. I can't, I'm, every time I'm on your podcast, I am struggling not to swear. But... <laughs> But, uh, you know, it was it was a little much just it was just felt kind of really ugly. And it felt and again, forced, you know, it yeah. felt like it was like a 14 year old kid who's struggling to show how, how adult he is, you know, and and I agree. I mean, people who listen to the show may think of me as a bit of a prude because I sometimes complain about this stuff. I'm really not. I, I don't I don't I don't recoil from that stuff just on a face of it. But, you know, when there's like. Every line has f bombs or see you next Tuesdays in it. Uh, it just it feels so forced and f like fake adults rather than actual adult. You know? Yeah, it wasn't great, and the voice work wasn't great. Both of those things, I I, I was not super stoked by. But about 
an hour after I left that demo, I sat down to write up a little bit of stuff about it. And I went over my notes because I was jotting down notes the entire time. And I kind of relived it again. And I just started to fall harder and harder in love with it, despite that first kind of grumpy instinct when I walked out of that demo. There's there's so much about this game to, to dig into and, and to dig. I mean, yeah, it's got that dystopian kind of neon-drenched future. Um, you know, that aesthetic, if you're into that, they, they really do it well. I was really impressed by the sort of high-tech, low-life thing, which is sort of hard to nail in terms of world building without it looking fake. Mm -hmm. And I felt like the world felt real. It felt like the world got this way somehow. And the people you were kind of coming across in the world felt threatening all the time. You kind of felt a little scared all the time. Um, I loved that part of it. And then the seamlessness of just, you know, being able to be in your apartment and then, you know, eventually driving all the way across town. It was GTA. I mean, it was it, it's it's tackling that, you know, the same way that they did with The Witcher. And I remember when I saw that Witcher 3 demo a couple years ago, I kind of came away from that not really enthused. I was a little soft on that game. And then I got the game and was just freaking out at yeah. how good it was. So I have, I have a lot of faith that they're going to be able to pull off, like maybe unlike what we were talking about with BG&E 2, I have faith that this, that CG Project Red can make this world happen the way that they say it's going to happen. And I've yet to even talk about how rad all the gunplay, crazy abilities, cool, weird shops you walk into, you know, the fact that you can go up to like, you know, an, an advertisement in the game and you interact with it and it'll point you to where the object is, the ad is showing you in this really Blade Runner-esque kind of, you know, dystopian way. Um, I, it's, I feel like, again, that's one that, I don't know if, if it's online. Did they put that thing online or is it only the, the trailer from Xbox? I don't think I've seen it online yet. I would expect in a week or so that it will be. I think that's kind of their MO is like they let it be this cool buzz thing. And then later on, it's like, oh, here's everybody can see it now. I don't know that to be the case for sure, but I, it feels like that's the, that's the modus operandi. Um, but yeah, man, there's, there's tons of, I'm having a hard time because <laughs> I think you know what you, I mean, you, you talked about the roller coaster and I have often said that expectation is the enemy of experience, right? And and I will fully cop to the fact that I had a lot of expectations going into Cyberpunk. Anybody that listened to our pre-E3 prediction show know that I was super amped to see this. I have so much faith in the studio. I just was I just was so excited. Certain that this was going to be my hands-down game of show going in. So my my expectation could not have been higher, and that often is a recipe for disappointment. And I'm sort of still wrestling with my own grief, uh, you know, my, my sense of mourning that this is a first person shooter. You know, I honestly, that fact, I have to accept the game as it is, but that fact really kind of bummed me out and it continues to, and I'm, I'm getting over it, but why, why exactly? Like, why are you so, why? Cause I, I've heard that a lot. I've heard a lot of people being like, Oh man, it's a first person shooter, but like, it's not, it's not rage Two. It's a very particular first person game. Obviously you're shooting and you're, you know, you're blowing people up, but there's a million weird ways that you do that. You don't just, you know, at one point, uh, the character, you know, whipped out these, this, I think it was called the mantis blade yeah. and like climbed up a wall and was climbing around on the wall and jumped down on someone and just started slicing people. Like it's, it's not just that you got a gun or, you know, you just kind of march into doom like levels. It's, it feels like there's a lot 
of different ways to play it, sort of like Deus Ex. Yeah, I, I definitely, you know, the moment where they installed the mod and then you were able to add the ricochet effect and literally would like crouch behind something and the enemy was crouched behind something and then you saw the the projection of where the bullet was going to go and they used that to line it up so that they shot the wall and it bounced off and went around the cover and shot the enemy. That part I was like, oh, that's cool. <laughs> you know, like that, right. that, now I'm now I'm feeling a little bit better about this. But I mean, it is a shootery shooter shooter. I mean, it's, you're right. It's not rage, but it is, there's a lot of shooting. There's a lot of, and you know, there's a lot of sword play in the Witcher. So I mean, it's not like combat. I wasn't expecting combat. It just felt like, uh, I don't know. It felt a step away from role playing game and into, we got to give you something to shoot every 15 seconds, which, and again, you know, like I'm saying, I'm conflicted about this because the Witcher gives you something to swing a sword at every 15 seconds. So it's not like that's not the template. I just, I don't know. I, I, it, it felt. Does Fallout 76 have anything to do with this, Jeff? A little bit, maybe, maybe a little bit, <laughs> maybe a little. Mourning, are we all just mourning sort of the death of the turn-based role-playing yeah, man. experience? Yeah, man. Where's my vats? I need my vats back. I mean, Vats was like a bridge too far already. I mean, we were already not really turn-based here. We were like, okay, we'll just slow down time real far, and then you can make some selections, but you're still shooting a shooter, shoot, shoots. Um, so I don't know. I, you know, at least there's at least there's Metroidvanias that still have turn-based <laughs> combat. But um, I, like the font was a turn-off to me. I know it's such a stupid nitpick. <laughs> stupid. It's stupid. So to me, to me, Cyberpunk blew me away with the the way the world seems to work and the scope and depth and density of the world. Like, there's a reason that a lot of video games are set in the post-apocalypse because mostly those are empty places, <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm. The fact that Cyberpunk is set in a very busy, dense city is an audacious thing to even attempt. Like this is, you know, Mass Effect tried it and it, it had varying effects. Sometimes you walk into a club in Mass Effect and it's like, this doesn't really feel like a club. <laughs> this feels like 14 NPCs standing around. I was very impressed that Cyberpunk felt like this bustling city with almost overwhelming layers of, of activity happening all around you. That's amazing. But I also felt like the facial animation system looked really primitive and the visuals, I, I, you kind of sacrifice some visual fidelity for the level of complexity on, you know, of, of the world. Because I remember seeing the first Witcher three moment and being like, I can't believe video games can look like this. I didn't feel like that from cyberpunk. Um, and again, these are all, you know, nitpicky things, but it left me just a little, less than over the moon. You know what I mean? I do. I mean, that was what we, that was the first instinct when I walked out yeah. was, 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 was thinking about those nitpicky things. I guess, I guess it's just that you, you know, at E3 and maybe it was when I saw more games at E3, it started to sink in more. You, you rarely get, you know, long, beautiful, you know, long looks at video games that are also beautiful the whole way. You get short little, yeah. you know, three minutes. Like we talked about ghost of Tsushima when we started, that was seven and a half minutes. This was 50 minutes. Like would they yeah. have been able to give us 50 minutes of that game looking that good? I don't, I don't know if they, if they yeah. can do that yet. So, so I, I, I try to kind of take a step back and say, what's the objective of this, of this demo? What are they trying to get across to us at this E3 demo? 
and they're all they're all going for different things and they're all coming out at different times. Uh, this game is, I think, when Christian, I imagine when you were talking about games that might take longer to come out than VG and E2, maybe this was one of them. Um, I'm guessing. Um, yeah. Did you, by the way, did you get in and, and see it? I did not see it behind closed doors. I've, I've read tons about it and I picked Jeff's brain about it. And so I did not see it. I did not see it being played, but I think I am leaving this E3 higher on the game than I was going into it. And I think mm-hmm. my, my reasons for that are, uh, based on the trailer that everybody can see right now. And then what I've heard about this gameplay trailer is that, and maybe it's that neon soaked cyber punk thing you know that were blade runner as we've seen a million times but i think they've created a world or are trying to create a world that so far in my eyes they've succeeded in doing that is both bright vibrant but also dangerous and oftentimes you don't get both of those right like you don't in the trailer at least they showed the world during the daytime and in blade runner it is always raining it is always dark and so the neon is more used as blue light which is meant to have a fear response in people as they see, you know, creepy blue or red lights in the distance. And I think if they're able to pull off this world that is as a day night cycle, the way something like GTA five does, but also feels dangerous and menacing. And they're talking about their mega structures where, you know, it felt like they're implying I'm going to get to play the raid or, or dread 3d. And like, if part of this game is an open world, and then all of a sudden I'm going up to the top of this tower to stop slow-mo from getting onto the streets. Yes, I'm 100% into that game. And I I, uh, I think I tend to like first-person games more than Jeff. I think we both enjoy a good third-person shooter, but I think, Jeff, you're kind of on record of preferring that third-person experience. Yes. Um, and so I, the, the third-person combat doesn't turn me off. I mean, sorry, the first-person combat doesn't turn me off as much. And I didn't hear all the expletives, so I'm not sure how um, heavy-handed it is. But I also think that this 1988 vision of the year 2077 has a lot of that in it. It's almost like even if you rewatch the Ninja Turtles cartoons from our youth, they're certainly not swearing in that. But the the idea of swearing is there with like the thugs <laughs> on the street that are like, oh, you're a girl, April O'Neil. Look at you. And like, I know what they're really saying. Right. Like that, that, that it's New York before Times Square became a tourist attraction. Right. Yeah. It's taken that aesthetic of everything is an adult video store. You're going to get mugged, stabbed, <laughs> but also pay $42 for a steak or, or for a hamburger. Yeah. And I, I definitely came away thinking, boy, these guys really took seriously the fact that they were making a video game version of this pen and paper role-playing game. Like they, they were not messing around when they were like, we, we want this license. This, we're not just using this as a jumping off point to make a video game. We're making the video game version of this role-playing game. And, and you know, there's a lot of signs of that. Yeah, you've got strength, intelligence, constitution, yeah. tech, cool. You actually have like it's, you know, it's a role playing game, man, at heart. I, I don't have any issue with either of the camera perspectives. I'm like kind of camera agnostic. Um I think Pick if it's a camera, Ben. I can't. I'm sorry. I'm gonna be a centrist when it comes to cameras in video <laughs> games. Maybe you know what, guys, I'm gonna go isometric. That might oh, be my I mean, that's camera. my first love. That's my first love. We'll yeah, get I'm to gonna... gears tactical in a minute. So. <laughs> yeah. Uh yeah, totally. But I you know, speaking of isometric, one of my favorite games of all time is Shadowrun, and I mean the 16-bit one. And I don't even mean the SNES one. I mean the Genesis Shadowrun. Wow. That was 
one of my favorite video games. I don't know why it just sunk its hooks in me. Um, and you're right. It, it, that's another game that kind of does that gruff, you know, cussy New York seventies subway version of the future. And, and so I think when, when, you know, when you kind of put it in, in that frame, I haven't really thought it through like that. I guess, I guess I'm a little bit more okay with the dialogue, but but the voice work sucked. I was that was really what threw me off. Is I was like, I don't yeah. think these actors are very good. Like, why does this guy's got such an overpronounced Latin accent? Why does this this girl's the way she's delivering these lines is way too yeah. melodramatic? And I so it's hard to tell if it's that they're trying to nail an aesthetic or if it's just a little clumsy right now with where they are. Some of those could also be scratch tracks. I have no idea. Um, well, I wasn't a fan I, of the guy who plays Gerald of Rivia. I mean, no offense. I know people love it, but that like, I'm just this guy. I have never, that's never done anything for me either. So they, they don't have a great tra- track record as far as I'm concerned. Well, I'll, yeah. I'll throw this out. I mean, I know on this show, at least one writer and one voice actor. So CG project red. Boom. You know. We're available. Let's go to Poland. Oh. We're available. That's what Let's I'm saying. Let's go to Poland. Uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, I, you know, I'm still very excited about the game. I'm sure I'll fall in love with it. Um, you know, and, and kudos to them for not just making The Witcher with a new skin on it. I I just was excited about what a, a The Witcher in a futuristic world would be like, and this really isn't that. It really is definitely feels a lot more like Deus Ex on steroids or or Fallout pre uh, pre-apocalypse, you know, it, it, it definitely has much more of that DNA in it. On augments, you mean, not yeah. steroids. In the future, it's just augments. I, yes, I, yeah, you're absolutely right. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, let's talk about other things. Christian, let's, uh, let's talk about a little Last of Us 2. Um, again, this is uh, very much the same demo behind closed doors as was shown at the press conference, but you got a chance to see it uh, played by a human being. Yes, it was the exact same playthrough as you could watch the trailer of. And I mean, down to missing a shot to the the woman that's on the car that ends up shooting you as Ellie with a bow and arrow so that she takes the arrow and runs away, you know, takes the wound and runs into that convenience store or makeup store, whatever it is. Um, So very little deviation from what was uh, on screen that everybody can watch. But I was... As I often do in these, when I see it's the same trailer, I spend about half my time watching the developers' hands <laughs> mm-hmm. to see them playing and not just uh, you know a walkthrough or how much control is, is being done in it. So I can safely say it was, it, as far as I could tell, played in front of my face and just stunning. The animation and sound design in this little vertical slice or little segment of this game, the attention to detail to everything... Um, and how the world feels so real and lived in, and these characters. I mean, people have talked about the kiss already, but how you know there's the uncanny valley in terms of just CG characters in general. But when was the last time you ever saw a CG kiss that looked like a real kiss and wasn't just like fading into each other in weird ways with polygons? Um, I am very excited for this game. I think the things they hinted at and talked about just a little bit, there wasn't a, a lengthy Q&A session that I was able to to sit in on, but there are certainly conversations with um, Druckmann and others available now about the game. Um, but what they're going with with AI and how the enemies react and that big bruiser that picks you up and throws you over the makeup counter, like that's not canned. It could be different depending on where you are or um, the way that Ellie is interacting with objects in the world and picking up that arrow 
out of the individual and whether or not that's there for you um, and how the game is played and the options you have in these scenarios. I made the joke of if that were me playing that game, I would have gotten to that first combat encounter and just started swearing and try to run away and hide behind a corner to heal uh, before I could try to run away and escape. And they're like, that is a way that the game can be played. Um, they didn't say that was a way that that demo could be played. <laughs> if you are a little little chicken person, you, you're more than welcome to play it that way. Right? Yes. Yeah, hide, and, <laughs> hide and cower. But I think they're doing. You know, I think they're doing a lot right with this game. Um, the demo looked incredible. It's it's brutal. It's impactful. But every moment felt like it was there for a reason. And we haven't seen the story yet. But again, giving them good faith and credit for what they have done before that those moments will pay off the way they have in the first game and then also the the DLC expansion. Ben, did you did you sit in on sit in on this? I did. I got the up close and personal view of that uh of that gameplay demo as well. I have I'll say two things about it. Um the first thing is that I've long said graphics don't make the game. Uh I think in the Last of Us Part 2, uh graphics partly make the game. Like it looks, <laughs> it yeah. looks, so, it looks so good. You just, especially up close, you know, well, when Jeff and I saw it, we were standing, you know, behind Neil Druckmann, who was lucky enough to score one of the eight pews in the <laughs> fake church. So like, well, yeah, you couldn't really focus. We were all grumpy and, and reading <laughs> right. snarky things about this terrible church thing we were in and the screen wasn't very good. So getting a up close look at, at, Everything, not the kiss, obviously incredible. I don't know how they, I mean, they, they, you know, they obviously mocapped it and then they hand animated the, the kiss itself, but just the whole thing looks so good and so uh, seamlessly cinematic that it is going to be a big part of the, why this game's great. Like if those were stick figures, I don't know if I would be as excited. Uh, they just, it looks amazing. Um, but, and this is a big butt that everyone's throwing out, but I'm going to throw the butt out too. Sorry, I think I wasn't supposed to swear. I just said butt a whole bunch of times. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm going to let it slide, I guess. Um, I'm not a prude, but if you say butt one more time. <laughs> say one more butt. It's like I'm it's like, I'm like my son now. <laughs> just make them ants and then still make your same point. That's what you need to do. <laughs> yeah. And it's so dark and gory and brutal. And from what I've heard, and I don't have a specific source or anything that I'm going to, you know, reveal, but I've heard from multiple people who are connected to it, that it is sort of relentlessly dark, that everyone's waiting for them to come out and show us more of the relief. Now we got a, a, a second of it, right? Um, when we saw the dance and, you know, we had like a brief respite there, but everyone's expecting, well, there's going to be way more of that. And we're going to have a lot more of that kind of pacing. Things that I've heard is like, no, it, it gets dark and it stays dark and it's grim. And and I'm a little concerned. Um, you know, Neil is an artist, uh, an incredible artist, um, and he's got a vision for this game. And uh, I think he's going to see that vision through. And that vision is, again, one one that is, is, is grim and not one that may, maybe will have quite as many uh, light moments to relieve us as gamers from the intensity of these experiences uh, and be able to catch our breath a little bit more. Um, and to me, the first game was great because of the moments in between. It wasn't yeah. just like sneaking around, you know, the clickers. It was the moments where Joel and Ellie were talking and walking and, and, 
and admiring the giraffe, the great giraffe, giraffes. Yeah. You know? Um, so are we going to get enough of that? I don't, I don't know. And, and I think I just, the fact that every time they've shown this game, we come away from it going like kind of cringing. Oh, look at, Ooh, like right in the eye. Ooh, like guys, you stabbed him in the heart. Like yeah. it's, I need, I, I just, I'm at the point now where I need to see something else. It's interesting. I think it's a testament to the world they've built and that we know, like you said, it, you know, it goes dark. And, and I think it was Neil, I, I don't want to misquote, but someone coming out of E3 said that this game is about, you know, awful things and what it does to people and the awful things that they <clears> will <throat> then do and kind of that darkness. And, you know, to sit here, and I'm not saying that this, this game isn't gory, but I, I, I almost feel like we are a collective we putting this added weight because the world, the first game in the world they created was so authentic and real and grounded and everything carried a little bit more weight to it. And this, these trailers certainly seem to do that as well. And the ghost of Tsushima trailer. I mean, you guys sat here and talked about how the blood on their face, they model that. So yeah. that is the, I mean, I watched that samurai in the first four minutes. I think he kills seven people. One of them didn't need to be killed. Like it's like Ellie didn't need to finish that guy off by cutting his head off. The samurai downs this big bruiser. He's dead on the ground. The samurai then does a look away, stab in the back, twist, pull, and blood goes out of him. Yeah, like, yeah but there's video a games are, video games are violent. I mean, like for sure. I, I hear where you're, where you're going with it, Christian, and and I and I I appreciate that maybe we are being a little harder on this game, uh, be, maybe because of its incredible graphical realism that that the violence seems to stand out as being even gnarlier. Um, that was so California, even grosser <laughs> than tubular. Than it's tubular. These, these other tubular. Yeah. But it's also that we've seen a couple of these now and they keep kind of hitting the same brutal points as opposed to like, if we see four more ghost of Tsushima trailers and they're all just this guy stabbing people over and over again, maybe by the end of that, we'll be like, okay, can we get something else? Like, I think well, it's just also, we keep seeing it. Also, I mean, I am very aware of what this sounds like, but I will say it anyway, that, Yes, I have been desensitized to a certain amount of video game violence. And yes, kudos to them for finding a way to resensitize me to video game violence. But I don't want to be desensitized to this kind of violence. I'm I'm genuinely worried about raising the bar on brutality to the point where this is just the what we get desensitized to. And I know that's a stupid, and I'm gonna get flamed for that. I'm gonna get all kinds of emails. People are gonna hate me. I'm the, I'm the wuss on the show and I'm what I'm a dad and all that stuff. Fine. But I don't think but they're trying to desensitize you. They're, Again, not. Not. they're, they're not, they're not. They're, they're trying, trying to make a point. You. <laughs> I, that's what I said. That's what I said that like, Oh, kudos to them for finding a way to push those buttons again. But once you do, you only get to do that once. Like, and then all of a sudden now that's the level of fun violence because I don't know, man, clockwork orange is still disturbing. I know that's a film, but like, you know, you know what I mean? Like I can think of yeah. cinematic examples and it's like you, you ring a bell and you make a point and you do it with artistry and it stands as test of time. Then there's hostile or something. And you're just like, yeah, I don't need Do you that. think that if you're playing this game for 10 hours and in hour nine and a half, you give this guy an ax shot to the face it's going to feel the same as in the you know seven minute trailer we saw. I, I don't. Hope that, I hope that the game progresses beyond that, and I think that I I am giving them a lot of credit and my bias here that they've made some of my favorite games of all time. Um, but I, I give them credit or the 
faith that the story will, I, I will feel that the same way that when I got to the end of the last of us, you know, I've been punched in the gut a lot throughout that game. And then it, it still, it still punched me. It still punched hard at the end. And I think if, if you motivate Ellie or whoever your protagonist is throughout the course of this game, the way she does things, I think there's a very real chance that our nine's decapitation will have meaning to it. Unlike a game that I loved playing, um, Tomb Raider, where after her first kill of a deer, she's like, I can't, bu-. and then yeah. she kills a human and is shaking. Yeah. And then it's like hour four, you're like, ah, you know, like <laughs> jumping out of the jungle. So I, I really wish I had the guts to title this episode, Hour Nine's Decapitation, <laughs> but I'm not gonna. Um, all right. Well, uh, we got lots more games to talk about, and I want to get to as many as we can possibly fit in. I do need to thank our second sponsor. Oh, I'm so excited to talk about RX Bar because uh, it kind of got me through E3. It really did. Um, I was off and in my car early, early, early in the morning, and uh, Christian can attest to this. I am not a smart person. I did not build into my schedule for E3 lunch. I, I had didn't... so many great lunch meetings with old friends that Christian Jeff was RX barring through. Texted me, "Hey, uh, want to go have a got a lunch? There's a lunch. Want to do a lunch?" I was like, "What's lunch? I have two meetings back to back all uh, all day." Uh, I was running from place, to, literally running from place to place. Um, so, how does one deal with not being able to have a leisurely social lunch with Christian and friends? Well. One relies on things like RX Bar. RX Bar is what I relied on this E3 because I have I purchased myself a, a new a new box of RX bars, and I love them. I, I I've had many protein bars in my time, but none of them I have enjoyed like RX Bar. I, I'm not I'm being utterly serious when I say that. Uh, RX Bar is a whole food protein bar. What does that mean? That means the bars are made with 100% whole ingredients. They are transparent. They are upfront. With you, their customers, they print the ingredients right on the front of each container, each bar. You know, the packaging tells you what's in it, egg whites, dates, nuts, uh, the ingredients that give you texture and taste. And let me tell you something. Not only are the flavor of these things good, the texture is good. And that, t- to me, is the most important thing in a protein bar. So many protein bars, and I've had many of them, just ruined by awful texture. They taste chalky or grainy or gross in your mouth. I love how RX bars feel in my mouth. It's a weird thing perhaps to uh, to talk about, but I love how they feel. They are uh, made with really delicious things. They don't have artificial colors or flavors or preservatives or fillers. They use egg whites for protein, dates to bind, nuts for texture, and they have 11 delicious flavor varieties. And as of May 14th, it's already happened, uh, there are three new flavors Mango pineapple, peanut butter and berries, and chocolate hazelnut. Also, as of May 29th, RX Bar introduced RX Nut Butter, made with the same core ingredients as RX Bar Protein Bars. The new Nut Butter Bars uh, include a base of nuts, peanuts or almonds, egg whites and dates, and they're available in honey, cinnamon, peanut butter, peanut butter, and vanilla almond butter. Delicious. These are good, man. My favorite are the berry ones. Um, I really love the uh, the mixed berry and the blueberry ones. But the chocolate ones are awesome, too. There's a chocolate and a coconut that I love. These are great. They have no added sugar, which is amazing. So you feel good. They get you through your day. They replace a meal. Uh, it, it, it turns out real food ingredients actually taste good. You can taste the, the cacao, like the chocolate, the real fruit, the spices like sea salt. 
It's super good. I eat these. I enjoy them. And guess what? For 25% off your first order, you can visit rxbar.com slash DLC and enter promo code DLC at checkout. You'll get 25% off your first order. That's pretty awesome. So rxbar.com slash DLC and the promo code DLC. Try these. I think you're going to really like them. I honestly do. They're very good. All right, guys. Uh, what's next? What What other games must we talk about? I want to I want to talk a little bit of Nintendo. We oh, gotta do, do Nintendo. We gotta do Nintendo. We didn't do. We got lots of emails of people uh, saying, you know, we did all the other press conferences. We didn't do Nintendo. That is really purely a factor of scheduling because Nintendo does their thing at Tuesday morning when I'm like in the car driving to E3, uh, eating my RX bar. Um, so that's not that's not because we have any bias against Nintendo or we don't want to talk about Nintendo. It's just a a fluke of scheduling that's on Nintendo. It just works out that way. But uh, Nintendo had a direct. They talked about things. We played games. Uh, chief among them, of course, Super Smash Brothers Ultimate. Christian, uh, I believe I beat you at Super Smash Brothers Ultimate, um, uh, which was which was a surprise to everyone involved. Um, we, we played two rounds. You won the first round. You got last in the second round. I want to put that out there. I was solid in the middle. Yeah, no, uh, I didn't want you to feel super bad about that beatdown that I gave you in the first one. So you know, uh, yeah, I have yeah, no. You, I, played, you played as Ridley, and you and you you womp stomped. Everybody. I I not not my game. I do not know what I'm doing. I literally button mashed my way to a victory. So I who knows what that means about the game, but. Um, I, this is just not my game. I'm super unqualified to talk about Smash Brothers. Ben, can we talk Smash? We can talk a little bit of Smash. <laughs> did you play Smash? Uh, I did play Smash. Um, I think it's interesting. I well, no. Why don't you? What, what did you think? Because you're, I know that you're super into it. So I want, I want to hear your take. So I am not a tournament player by any stretch of the imagination, but I have owned every iteration, I think, and put in a decent amount of hours. They always come out around November, at least especially last two, which is like Thanksgiving. <laughs> so it's like, oh, my brothers are going to be here. It's it's such a great couch game. And I think this game, you know, people oh, support blah, this, that, the other. Um, I find that a little offensive, Jeff. Um, uh, that was a I joke. Am, it was a joke. <laughs> I am blown away by this game. First and foremost, their inclusion of every character from every Smash Brother. I think this needs to be applauded way louder than it already is. When we're living in a world where games that we currently, air quote, own uh, are, are getting updates to remove music from them, right? Because those licenses have expired. And it's like, here's your new playlist. It has four songs. Um, that Nintendo was able to get all of these other characters and characters from series that, like Snake... That, Konami's not a thing anymore, right? Like, you know, they're still giving Nintendo these characters, Pac-Man, uh, Bayonetta, which I guess they still have a relationship there, um, Ryu. It's, it blows me away. And then characters from games that uh, haven't, uh, Smash, Nintendo characters that haven't been in Smash games in years are getting updated for this game. And the inclusion of old stages that play homage to their original version with like pixelated Pokemon running around in the background and updating the timing for everybody. Like, this very easily could have been one, just a port of Smash for Wii U, and I think people would have liked it, you know, well enough. But the fact that they included every character and are doing their best, again, another air quote for an air dash, to balance them in terms of the way they've retimed characters, sped up the game, but then had to retweet characters' moves or change some movesets so that they would play in this faster format 
and the changes they've made to blocks and, and counters. Um, I think they're putting a lot of love into this game. Whereas if this time they told me we're done <laughs> after this, I think I'd believe them because Nintendo, I don't think needed to put in the level of work they're putting into this game. And it's blowing me away what they're doing. Well, they named it correctly. It is the ultimate version of Smash Brothers, and I think it is uh, a love letter to Nintendo fans. I mean, not just Smash Brothers fans, but Nintendo fans, like every character that's ever been almost in a Nintendo game. It's just there's so many characters there. That was the thing, obviously, everyone kept talking about with the Direct is like it just went on and on and on and kind of tongue-in-cheek, but also kind of like, no, we're just we, – we, we, we love you guys and we want to give you something you're going to love. So I, I think you can't fault them for that at all. And, and, and it, it was a lot of fun when I played it, but earlier when we were talking about ghost of Tsushima, you were like, ah, oh, it's another one of those Sony third person action games. Why are you guys so enthused? And I would pose the question to you. This is essentially the same game. I mean, it's got some tweaks with the, you know, the air dashes and some new moves and some new, you know, there's, there's, it's a new fighting game. It's new, but it's not that new. And that's where I run aground is that I'm like, I, I, I like Smash. I'm not a tournament player either. Uh, I don't play uh, Smash 4. I played it a little bit and then stopped. I, I was in another life uh, working at an esports site. So I did follow the melee scene uh, for a little while. And I really appreciated the skill level and, and just sort of the, the depth that this game hides. And um, I appreciate that they've, are, are, are uh, appealing to those players as well, having GameCube support or uh, GameCube controller support. They're doing all the right things, but I still sort of run into the, like, this is still a known quantity for me. I still know exactly what's going on here. And unless you're already in, I don't think this is going to bring new people in. So I think it could bring new people in with all of the characters being included and they, they didn't show it, but they talked about, you know, a way for unlock constantly unlocking characters. They want to give people that reward for playing through the single player campaign. That's different than what they did in smash four, where I think it kind of maybe harkens back to, Oh God, was it street fighter alpha three on PlayStation one that did a really good job of that or Marvel versus Capcom two on dreamcast where it's like, you were always getting something, a new outfit, a new color, a new character or something. And I also think in the chat, Darth Tithis says it's the difference between getting excited for a new Madden and thinking that Tomb Raider looks a lot like more of the same. And I think, yeah, this is, it's, it is, it is Madden to some extent, right? It, it is a sports game. It's a fighting game. It's Street Fighter. Like they're not going to come out with this game and suddenly have here's Smash for Switch and it's Mario plus Rabbids, you know, like some drastic rethinking of the franchise or like, and now, <laughs> and now they, it's arms, but with Mario characters. I don't, whatever. like, I don't understand that analogy. I'm, I'm just sorry. You said it, Darth. Tithus wrote, wrote it, and I'm sitting here trying to parse it. I don't understand it. He's he's saying it, it's the difference between getting excited for a new Madden and thinking that Tomb Raider looks like more of the same. I don't right. I don't understand Madden that. Is, Madden is giving you is is giving you a new football game every year. Right. And there's not a plot or a third person. Whereas Tomb Raider is Tomb giving Raider, you a new Tomb Raider every year. A new story and a rapper where you're doing you're not go, going to that game. You go to those games to have new control mechanics, new exploration uh, options. You're not looking to play the same game with a new plot stamped on top of it, I would argue. Maybe you are. I would I argue know. most people aren't. And are so God of War Extension, uh, Ascension would have sold much better. 
because that's what that was. It was just another God of War game with a plot, and no one cared about it. I just think that maybe the only distinction between Madden and Tomb Raider in this analogy is people know what to expect from a new Madden. You know, like the, there's no version of of Madden. It's just an expectation that that, it, that is the difference. Anyway, I'm sorry. I don't mean to get bogged down well, in I, that. I just didn't get no, it. No, I, mean, I think it is an interesting point. And I, I don't think – I think if Madden were to launch this year and it was only that story mode, you know, whatever the whatever that thing was they had last long year. Shot, like, long shot. Yeah, long shot. If it was just that, like that's not what that is. Whereas God of War could launch in 2018 and be a drastically different take on this character and reinvent it and give – people something new and new gameplay because the old gameplay was stale and had been done a million times and had been done a million times by copycat games um, as well, like Dante's Inferno, among others. Whereas a fighting game has the burden, I think sometimes, of of needing to be the same basic style of game. Uh, and that's what Smash is. Smash is living in that world of being a fighting game and having the same basic control scheme in the same basic gameplay so that fans know what they're getting into. Whereas Mario, like a 3d Mario game, isn't shackled with that, right? Like it has some expectations of what players think it's going to be in terms of platforming or exploration or collecting things, but they're able to make big differences between types of games. Whereas if we were to, if Mario um, Odyssey were just Mario galaxy three, it would have been a great game, but we all would have said, oh, I feel like I've played this already. Well, Mario is a Mario is a bad example because they are always reinventing that franchise to, to their not credit. Between, not between Galaxy One and Galaxy Two, they didn't. Correct, uh, but uh, almost always. But I think I think I don't know. I, like I said, I don't want to get bogged down here. But I think uh, Tomb Raider, especially with this trilogy that they're doing now, it feels like this is you, you don't want it to go too far. If you, you want. You do want the next part of the story, some minor tweaks, some updates to things, but you want to know exactly what you're getting. You're getting a third-person action adventure game with this. I don't know. Anyway. Well, just uh, to the point of the of the sort of fighting game thing, where fighting games kind of have to stay in a certain, maybe in a certain lane when they make new ones. I would argue that uh, Mortal Kombat has gone through some really interesting mm. evolutions over the years. Uh, yeah. They've done a lot of different things with that game. Um, it can be done. You can push it a little further, and maybe for me, you know, look. This is the third Nintendo Direct in a row where they've really focused on on one game. And the last two were The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild and Super <laughs> Mario Odyssey. Yeah. And I think it's gradually getting, you know, kind of narrower in terms of how, what they're doing to sort of open up um, who might be interested in these games. If you look at Legend of Zelda, boy, I mean, that was as bold of a reimagining of a franchise as you could get, Right. Right. And then Odyssey even, you know, had a lot of weird new stuff in it and a lot of crazy new ideas. Um, and, and this to me just feels like a, a much, even though they're 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 being incredibly generous to the fans, it still feels like a little bit of a safe play. Like I watched yes. it for five minutes and I got it, and I didn't need another twenty three minutes. Seems like and Mario I, Kart. It's the same. It's the same situation from my outside perspective. Again, if you're in the, these communities, the granular stuff is big. I, you know, a, a new patch comes out for Heroes of the Storm. I'm all over the, like, 0.5 difference in what tower damage does. But I think Ben's point was, like, you know, this isn't going to entice anybody that isn't already drinking that Kool-Aid, in my opinion. Well, I think it will in that it ha- it's <laughs> it's for the Switch, which is sold extremely well. It has every Nintendo character in it that you could ever want. And I think in how they 
iron out this single player campaign idea or of unlocking thing I think can bring people in. And it, it's casual, it's pick up and playable, and then deep enough, obviously, for, for esports pros. I don't think it's going to sell as well as Breath of the Wild or win as many Game of the Year awards as that. But I think the reason it needs to be commended is its inclusion of every character. I don't think that's an easy feat. And that I think they went above and beyond in terms of rebalancing and really spending time with that granular stuff where they easily could have made uh, Smash for Wii U, now for Switch. And I think people would have been excited for that. The way Mario Kart 8 Deluxe is an incredible game on Switch. But it was the, you know, the shortest distance between two points to get that out. And I don't feel like they're doing that with Smash. And I think they easily could have. And, and I, I think it's nice to see them making this complete package. I'll say something, uh, another thing that probably sounds transgressive and will get me a lot of hate mail. Uh, I had more instant fun with Mario Tennis Aces than I did with Smash Brothers Ultimate. That game, I, I was about to t- uh, mention that game because I, I, I kind of felt the same way. Just It's super like, fun! I, I thought it was one thing and then it kind of was another. Like talk about, that might be my favorite fighting game at the show yeah was no you're that's what christian said as we walked out he said it's a fighting game and you're it's absolutely it. right it is a straight up fighting game with super moves and uh you know intense systems that you're you're playing it is not pong you know it is it is using tennis as a uh, it is a, an excuse to build this really cool interesting fighting system and we had i had a blast playing that game i was very impressed i couldn't believe it yeah, and it's out soon, so don't yeah. sleep on that, people. It it does, and it looks great. Uh, it played really well. The characters, the different characters, had different weight to them, and you know, Nintendo's been good about that since what Super NES Mario Kart, where Bowser's slow or whatever. But like the power of the hits, um, I did win both of our games. You um, did, you did. But you're because you kept using your story. yeah, you kept using your. Uh, I couldn't, I couldn't grok using my slow down and my i kept jumping the opposite direction of what i wanted to do so but i think with a little you know a little practice you could have some really intense fighting game style back and forth because we we had a serious back and forth that was fun even like just not understanding how to play the game at all as, as we walked up to it it was great yeah i think also that game i think it will be great on the couch uh i don't know how it will be online even though apparently yeah Fortnite's managed to put voice chat with just plugging in a mic. (laughs) Ah, epic, you brilliant jerks. Uh, Why doesn't everybody do that? Um, And then I'm not sure what its single-player content will be like. That's, like, ARMS was, you know, fell flat for me because of that. Like, playing it alone wasn't great. Um, And then while we're rounding out Nintendo, Pokemon, huh? How great did that game look? on? It looked very beautiful. It looked very beautiful. Yeah, I I mean, I, I again, the Pokeball... Uh, it's I, missed, I kept missing on the pokeball and the guy was like no nah, and he kept, kind of kept laughing at me the demo guy kept laughing because <laughs> i kept throwing the pokeball the wrong way and i'm like i mean you got to stop laughing at me trying to throw this pokeball. <laughs> it's not me i swear to god oh, i know how to throw it's a, ball a it's a cool idea know. and i think the kids are gonna love i mean it's clearly made for little kid hands right it's just it's much smaller than i thought it was gonna be um it's clearly made for little kid hands it's probably gonna capture the imagination of a bunch of people who aren't me uh christian you liked it I liked it a lot. I was surprised how small the Pokeball was. Um, also glad, Ben, no offense, but I'm glad that you were bad at it because I felt like the demo guy was just blowing smoke up my butt because he was like, wow, great throw. Oh, wow. No one's ever caught a Pikachu on their first try. Wow. And I was like, shut up, everybody. <laughs> You're just trying to make me feel good. No, but now you I know are, I you should feel good. No, that's Christian humble, humble bragging right there is what that is. <laughs> no, I honestly, I felt like, oh, come, he was like, no one ever caught a Pikachu on their first try. And like, give me this like eye 
pat on my back, you know, and I was like, whatever. Uh-huh. I, I didn't do anything. But now apparently I'm really good at a kid's Pokemon game. Uh, <laughs> but I think the things that blew me away about it were how beautiful it looked on a big TV close up. And two, just the subtle change of being able to see all of the Pokemon in the world and having the encounters not be random. Like there was a part where the demo guy was like, now go down here and you can ha- fight this other trainer. And I had to go through this patch of grass first. And I was like, I'm never going to get there. There were, there were like four, I'm exaggerating, probably like six to eight Pokemon covering this grass area that I had to consciously now avoid because the demo guy was like, go fight this trainer. But I looked over at Jeff. I was like, I could, I could stay here for 25, 30 minutes just because it gives you that open world game compulsion of like, oh, well, there's eight Pokemon here. I got to at least, I got to go after them. I'm not going to just walk by all of these guys. And just that subtle tweak to the game. I think it's fascinating. I'm curious if they carry that forward in the, you know, 2019 or whatever version it is. But I'm stoked on the game. I uh, I plunked down a pre-order of the the bundle with the ball. I'll EV? save for my girls. EV? But it's really for me. Eevee? Yeah. Uh, Eevee? This is just not my year for Nintendo content. Uh, I mean, I, I love my Switch. I'll probably be playing a lot of cool indie games on it. But, uh, man, the big marquee stuff, it, I'm just, again... Not going to endear myself to the audience, who I'm sure are in love with Smash Brothers and Pokemon, but never, I've never liked those games. So just, a, just an unlucky year for Nintendo content for me. <laughs> well, I think the fact also that they, you know, we all went into that direct and just went into the show in general, like, hey, you showed us that Metroid Prime logo, so let's <laughs> get a little of that yeah, Metroid yeah. Prime, and that yeah. to me felt like the game that could have been that next sort of, you know, reimagining that I've been excited about with them and the Switch. You know, they did it with Zelda. They did a little bit of that with Odyssey. They're doing that a little bit with Mario Tennis. Um, and then I was really hoping like we were going to get that and, and we didn't. It just fell a little flat. I mean, that's how they approach E3. Like they don't put a lot of stock in that press conference. I interview yeah. Reggie every year about, and I ask him the same question every year, why don't you guys have more of a moment to capture? Because you used to do that. And now you sort of, you know, he's like, well, we see it as being a, you know, we have different beats and we get tomorrow. We're going to talk about some games and then the next day. And I'm like, you know, I know that you guys like to do that, but I don't know if everybody understands that strategy. Like yeah. you, you kind of miss out maybe in a way doing that. Like they, you know, they, they talk all year long about their games and they have a million of these directs. So they kind of set themselves up to not necessarily stand out the same way that Sony will by showing four or five giant first party brand new games or something, or Microsoft will just like deluge with a deluge of a million Xbox one games. They, they, they just sort of do this intentionally. So I don't think it's just you, Jeff. I think it's just like, yeah, you're right. There was an odyssey that you could kind of hang your hat on. No pun intended. Um, Yeah. But um, But they stand out all year. I mean, I think had they held poke, let's go Pokemon, let's go for this. It would have been bigger. The Fortnite leak was an awful leak. I think that would have been bigger. I, play it a lot on my switch i have a little dock set up at work where i can just turn to my switch and play get around to Fortnite in real quick i think it plays really well on there as a nice middle between console and ios versions but that was so leaked (laughs) before it happened it didn't have the same weight and i don't think they care because so they're gonna have their press cycle still at e3 but then they also dominated the three months leading up to it with pokemon and everything else they have going on so i know i know their stock did drop like seven or eight percent after e3 so I guess I'm the outlier. I'm still being hyped on my Switch. But I think there's good stuff coming, and hopefully Metroid then comes next year. But I think it's also unfair and unrealistic to think that it launches with two of the best games, arguably, of all time. And then 12 months later, we're like, 
where's the next one? <laughs> like, come on. No, and, if, and if anything, they, they, they did attend to that because you, you got a feeling at the end of that direct, if, you know, if you could remember life before the Smash Brothers content, um, they had a lot of games. They were just like rapid firing showing like, look at all these video games coming to your Switch. They didn't have 3DS stuff there at all. So every single thing we saw was Switch. And that's always been their problem is pipeline. It's always been, well, we get one great game and then we wait six months and then we get another great game. And, and they're, they, they've attended to that. I mean, the switch is an indie game, you know, machine at this point. And, and there's always something to buy and play on it. And I think at least they did a good job of that, but you're right. They can do it all year long. I still am not sure it's the, the best strategy to not still try to kind of capture maybe a little more attention at E3, but, um, you know, I, they've obviously been selling that the hell out of this system. So what do I know? So I want to do a few uh, quick hits uh, of stuff that, that I saw. I know we, we've been talking at length about stuff. So I want to do some quick hits and then open it up to you guys to do some quick hits, bring up games that, that you want to talk about. Um, a few of the games that impressed me, Elder Scrolls Blades. I really was blown away by that game. I mean, the way it works on a phone, I played it on an iPhone X uh, 10, I guess it is. 10, um, Jeffrey. I know. 10. I get, I get confused. I own one. I'm holding one in my hand right now and I don't know what it, I don't no, know. That's your name. Xbox X, Jeff. Put, oh. your, put your console down, get yeah. your phone. Anyway, um, very impressed with how Blades looks. I mean, it's like the nicest looking Elder Scrolls game you can buy right now. It's pretty amazing. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I thought it played really well. The, the combat was interesting. It was sort of a, almost like a rhythm game where you were, ti- I was timing blocks and dodges. You kind of get locked in on an enemy and then you have to defeat them. Uh, it, it was beautiful. The movement. I mean, I really hate virtual sticks on mobile games. I hate them. And this was like a wonderful hybrid of that where you could tap to move, but also if you held your thumb down, you kind of could use it as a stick to look around. I just thought it was elegant and, and very impressive. Uh, I, I will play more of it, especially because it will be free. Um, that I thought was cool. Uh, played the division two, Serious contender for Game of Show for me, uh, even though, again, it's a known quantity, but I loved the first Division so much. It looks great. It was really fun. The new special weapon thing works really well. Uh, you, At least in the demo, and I suspect this is how the game works too, you don't start with ammo for the special weapon. Uh, you have to do, actually defeat enemies to get your special weapon ammo, which made it even more special. I was playing the class that had the uh, grenade launcher special weapon. It was super fun. Game looks awesome. Uh, I'm super hyped on that game. I, I can't wait to get back into grinding for loot in a division game. And they seem to indicate that there will be more fun cosmetic stuff in this one than the first one. So that, that makes me excited. Um, what else did I want? Oh, Tetris Effect. Uh, I got to play on PSVR, and it was a delight. I mean, Tetris is Tetris, right? Uh, we've said on DLC many times, objectively the greatest video game of all time. I, it's still fun. It is always fun. Tetris will always be fun, but the added layer of, of the way the music integrates with the falling blocks, uh, I just found it to be serene and magical in the way that, um, you know, that, that res is and luminous is, and you know, all those, all the games in that lineage. Um, but now I'm playing something very familiar, some new interesting mechanisms in the game that worked in a really interesting way. You could like get into this, zone where you move blocks in a different way. I thought that was kind of cool, but there's, they're not really reinventing the wheel. They're just wrapping it in this beautiful, serene, tranquil, trance-like experience that I found absolutely delightful. It, 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 
it was almost relaxing to play a Tetris game, which is pretty crazy. Um, so those are some some quick hits for me. What about you, Ben? You have uh, some games you want to rattle through? Yeah, I can uh, whip through a few just to piggyback off you in terms of VR. Not a great year for VR, but Echo Combat. Mm. Oh boy, yeah, oh, Echo Combat. I mean, anything that Ready at Dawn does uh, in VR is going to be awesome. And uh, I loved Echo Arena. Echo Combat is basically Echo Arena with guns, and they do really smart things. Like when you're kind of you know. It's kind of like a Counter-Strike sort of thing. Like one team is trying to take a payload to one end of the arena and, and you're trying to stop them. But like you have all these weird, cool guns and they shoot weird, cool bullets. And when you shoot in zero G, it propels you backward. So yeah. you're like, can kind of like shoot to dodge out of the way of things. And it's got all the same great physicality that you get in Echo Arena. I was just a big fan of that game and and, and playing Echo Combat. I was like, oh, I get it. It's just going to be this thing with guns. And then about five minutes in, I was like, oh, yeah, I could just – I could do this all day. Like, yeah. This is super fun. It's going to be an awesome um, eSport too. I think that game could be so much fun to watch people play. Yeah, for sure, if uh, if VR survives. <laughs> <laughs> it was a bad – it was a really just – there was not a lot of VR games I really loved, but that was a, that was one. So I figured I'd piggyback off it. Um, guys, I played Anthem. Oh my God. I'm so glad you did. I was going to ask you if you did. Uh, everybody that I've talked to that actually put their hands on a controller for that game came away much higher on it than, than anybody else I've heard. So is that, is that consistent with your experience? Dudes, it's Iron Man. It's the best yeah. Iron Man game you ever played. It's I well, I mean, that's not saying a lot, I guess, after that <laughs> sake of Iron Man games. But it is, it's Iron Man. I, it, it's absolutely true. The difference between EA plays sort of lukewarm, kind of snooze fest of walking through this game with like, you know, a bunch of developers on stage sitting in chairs and like not really getting into it. And then actually playing it where you're like, you know, you click the left stick and you fly forward like Superman, you click the right stick and you start hovering and you've got, you can go up pretty high. It's got a good sense of verticality. Um, you can like be in the middle of the air and then you'll be shooting with your assault rifle at, at, at aliens and then you can thunder down from the heavens like thor and smash into a big group of them throw a frost grenade freeze them and then someone else comes and ground pounds and it's it's really cool is there a lot of limit really cool sorry i didn't mean to interrupt you is is there a lot of limit on the flying is there like a meter that's running down quickly that forces you yes yeah you have you have an overheating meter and so you can't just be in the air forever uh it replenishes pretty quickly on the ground but interestingly you can also replenish it by uh, cooling it down with water. And one way they showed you how to do that is by flying through a waterfall. Mm. So as you're flying, you know, you're, you're about to run out of steam or, or you're literally about to have too much steam and you fly through a waterfall and it cools you off and you can stay in the air. Uh, you can also, you know, at one point you flew through an underwater cave and, and when you're doing that and you're underwater, you can kind of, you know, fly forever. So swim, I guess. Um, but it just had incredible verticality and agility and, and it just felt good. It's kind of like the way people describe Destiny, where I mean, I, obviously there's a million ways that this is like <laughs> Destiny, uh, but just just to finish that point, specifically the way people talk about Destiny's hand feel and just the yeah. kinetic charge of shooting things just feels right. Anthem feels right in your hands when you're flying, when you're shooting. You feel powerful. You feel like a badass. Now that being said, all the other stuff like the gameplay loop, the shared world, how the hell they're going to work in this dialogue, choicey, single-player thing when you go back to your home base and then somehow you hop back into multiplayer, how they're going to make it feel like a Bioware game, I don't know. And they did not get into any of that. Um, but 
playing it and watching it, totally different experiences. And that's one that, again, it's unfortunate that they made it so hard for people to play. They should have had that gameplay demo out on the floor in many more places for people to check out. Yeah. Oh, I'm so sad. That was one of the biggest things that I kicked myself for not. That and Resident Evil 2, I've heard, were spectacular, and I didn't get a chance to play that either. So those are the two games that I missed that I uh, wish I had seen. For sure, Anthem. I played Resident Evil 2, and I and I, I wasn't didn't click as, as much with me as some other people, although it looked beautiful. Um mm. The other games I'd, I'd, I'd want to talk about, just one game that really surprised me was Starlink. Yeah. Which is the Toys to Life game that Ubisoft is working on. Um, and I love that game, dude. A, I love it. This is a badass video game. It is. It's, it's super out. cool. It's, video game. it's also kind of a No Man's Sky thing. I mean, yeah. it's got this incredibly open, seamless world that you're flying from planet to planet. Yes, you've got a bunch of toys and you've got a bunch of like parts and there's pilots and there's you know the chassis and there's wings and weapons and you can disconnect and connect all these things you can build crazy ships that way because it's all modular so it's not like skylanders where you just have one dude you put on on the portal or even disney infinity you've got all these parts you're mixing and matching you can also do all of that without any of the toys you could just download it digitally and just play it like a video game without any of the hardware if you want and none of it's gated. So you don't have that old toys to life problem where, well, I go over to this part and I can't get into this this part of the world because I don't have a forest creature. It has yeah. none of that. You can beat the whole thing and play and get, access every area with just the starter pack, which they're very proud of. And I'm like, I don't know how you guys are going to sell any more of these toys, but that's, I mean, maybe it's just because people want to experience more weapons and stuff. But... Well, the, the ships look really cool. So there's that. Yeah. The, the design is cool. And just the depth of like, you know, you fly down to this planet surface and you get into these cool sort of strafey dog fights with big, beautiful looking enemies. And then you can like run off and meet other factions and, you know, set up, you know, uh, new shops and, and buy stuff for merchants. It's, it's a robust video game that yeah. looks like a Skylanders ripoff, and it's not. And I think it's going to be really a big challenge for Ubisoft to figure out how to message all that and how to get that across to consumers and maybe more importantly, critics, uh, who I think are just going to you know, not really give it the time of day. I actually watched a few critics walk into the uh, Ubisoft showcase and just were kind of grumbly about it, and they all walked away like, wow, that game was a lot better than I thought. And I'm like, yeah, yeah this is a lot better than we think. Um so that, that's one I want to highlight. And then just, you know, it's not sexy at all, but Forza Horizon 4 mm. is going to be like a 91 on Metacritic. I mean, like it's, yeah. another, it's another one of these, like it's going to be the best racing game of the year. Like it just looks insane. It looks great. It's not, again, it's like I would never be, I'm not that thrilled about it at E3, but I'm going to be thrilled about it when I'm playing it. I loved Forza Horizon 3. I think we all loved Forza Horizon 3. It was such a great racing game. And there's just, you know, they got the seasons. They've got, and they have a couple of things that aren't great, or at least sound scary on paper with it being sort of online. So instead of drive it's hard, you've got actual people who are driving around, although there's an option to bail out of that and just play sort of single player with drive it's uh, But even if you have people playing online, they have a smart ghosting feature where people can't grief each other. Um, just driving around the world. It just looks like a million bucks. Uh, they're going to let it run in 60 frames per second um, for Xbox One X owners, I think. And uh, whew, I mean, that's just going to smoke. So yeah, uh, that's another easy win. The other two I'd mentioned, uh, I know uh, we got to get to Christian, but uh, Ori, another Microsoft game. Uh, I'm all in on Ori. Uh, I love the first one. The second one looks pretty badass. 
And then another game that uh, takes a cue from Dark Souls, which is Sekiro Shadows Die Twice, which mm. is the sort of shinobi ninja version of a Bloodborne game. Uh, and that one has, I think, something that's really been missing from these games, which is, um, I use the word verticality, I'll use it again, where you can actually jump up onto rooftops and you can navigate through levels in ways that in, in games like Dark Souls and Bloodborne, you're sort of on pretty strict paths and you have to like open up some random shortcut to get to some new area. They still have some of that, but there's a lot more variety in how you can deal with these enemies. Um, and that was something that was always sort of missing for me from Dark Souls. It always just felt like you were stuck on the ground. You're just going to have to deal with this awful dragon that's going to kill you 40 times. This time you can jump up onto the rooftop and run around and try hitting him from behind. He's still going to kill you 40 times, but uh, at least there's a little more variety there. So those are just a couple other games that I really like. I, I want to just uh, circle back really quickly to uh, your your um, um, Ori and the Will of the Wisps comment. I had an opportunity to interview the uh, the lead designer of that game. And first of all, one of the best interviews I've ever had with any designer. Like the guy is so fun and so infectious. In fact, his enthusiasm is so infectious for his game. And he straight up said, we want to make a game that people are going to be playing 15 years from now. He said, we want to make a masterpiece in this genre. He said, we want to make the Super Mario Brothers 3 of, of this. And I just, I just love that level of ambition and how like they want to get everything right. And he said, we, you know, we think we really, did a great job with uh, platforming last time. This game, where we want to perfect uh, the combat. He said, we want to make the combat perfect, and we're doing everything we can to make a masterpiece. And I was just like, dude, yes. Yes, think about games that way. Think about, like, why else would you ever make a game other than to make the masterpiece of that genre that people are playing 15 years from now? He's like, we, we're thinking about everything in, in terms of not, you know, locking it down to a specific time period as far as, you know, this, well, it certainly looks like it was made, made in the, in the teen, the 20 teens, you know, cause it has these, like they're trying to create a timeless quality to it and make it beautiful. It's like, I'm, you just made me a fan of your game. I, I, I just loved that interview. So I and wanted... it looks, it does. I mean, Ori looks just incredible. The animations are incredible. The, the character and creature design is incredible. It looks like a cartoon. It, has this fierce combat. It's got all that Metroidvania stuff, Christian, you're going to be stoked for, uh, and I am stoked for. And it's got a lot of new abilities and moves. You know, is it going to be too hard? Is it going to be too easy? Is it going to have the same emotional storytelling that the first game have had? I have no idea. Uh, but in terms of an E3 presentation, it was it was hitting all the right notes for me. And uh, I, I fell in love with that first game. I'm excited for this one. Yeah. All right, Christian, what is your quick hits? Uh, Assassin's Creed Odyssey. Surprised no one mentioned it yet. Yeah, um, real good. R- real. I think Ubisoft is going to have some of the best games of the next 12 months in terms of people playing them and longevity and sales. And I don't think they'll get any game of, I don't think they'll rack up game of the year award, awards or game of E3 show, game of the show awards, unfortunately. But what they do, they do so well. And coming from a different team that's been working on this game for whatever it is, three years, it feels like it builds off of everything I liked about Origins and then adds in fun new layers. And uh, I just played the what they showed in the demo where you meet Socrates and then go on this mission and, and you end on the beach in this big battle. And the game felt both like The Witcher and, oh my goodness, it just escaped out of my mouth. What was that Xbox One launch game? Um, oh, I know what you're talking about. Uh, the game that everybody hated me for liking? Um, and it was it rise, wasn't great. Rise, rise, yes. Rise. 
when I got to the beach in Odyssey, it felt like I was like, oh yeah, this is what I wanted Rise to feel like. And I didn't hate Rise either. I think it was pretty and fun enough, you know, for when the game came out. But the the combat on the beach with like combat going on all around you, and it has a nice um, weight to the combat in it. Where and they they mentioned so in the demo, I didn't have a shield, and the devs mentioned that it was intentional to have the player not have a shield because they felt like in Origins it was people were turtling a lot, and so here they it's a parry or a, a, I think it's a parry and not a counter with the left trigger, whereas before it was your shield because they want combat to be more aggressive. And, you know, then they talked about how it justifies it with the Spartan mentality of we're warriors and you can Spartan kick pretty much whenever you want, uh, <laughs> which is both fun and ridiculous, but then also fun again, the more you do it. Yeah. And the, the implementation of the Spear of uh, Leonidas as like your your magic that you always have where you're doing these special moves and having the combat be an evolution, it feels like, of what it was in Origins. I know it's supposed to be a quick hit, but I was blown away by the game. It comes out very soon, and I think the I hope that the further RPG ness RPG ness of it um, continues in the full game because it, I didn't get a chance to do the ship combat, but that looked really cool also, and like a, a nice twist on what was done in Black Flag and what is maybe coming in Skull and Bones really blew me away. Um, Black Ops Four, I, I, I don't know. I, I want to talk about it because it's a big game. I played um, Hardpoint and Control in terms of the, the multiplayer modes that they were showing. My team won both. We won every game we were in, not necessarily because of me. Um, it felt interesting to not have grenades with my loadout uh, initially and the way that I changed and the mobility with, I played with the grapple guy. But then it also felt weird that I couldn't get on top of rooftops that my grapple would get me up to. I would then kind of slide off of. I thought was a little odd. Maybe I wasn't landing where I was supposed to be landing in terms of the hit detection for the geometry of the building. I think the game's going to be a hit, but I, I left fairly nonplussed with it. it. You could have told me it was a map pack for any other Call of Duty, and I would have been like, oh, cool. Um, so there's that easy, quick hit. And then we talked about it. You you talked about it already on a, a preview episode because you already gone hands-on with it. But uh, I don't know if we can give the game of show to the same game two years in a row, but I think I'm <laughs> going to be arguing for it. Wow. Spider-Man is so incredible. Yeah. I, I love Spider-Man so much that I came home and I started new game plusing Arkham City again. Like, <laughs> I, just, I love Spider-Man so much that I played Batman. <laughs> Remember how excited I was for Far Cry 5 that then I re-downloaded Blood Dragon and started playing well, that Well, at least again. that was a, the same. It, it's still a Far Cry game. Like, oh. You're like, I wanted to see, I just wanted to see Man in Blue and Red Tights and then, <laughs> then I played Batman. <laughs> how, how, how Batman felt like the best version of a superhero game we had ever had to that point. And I think... yeah. Spider-Man is not out yet still. Um, the weight of the character, but adding the zip line through City, and I feel like City was the right balance of not overwhelming you with an open world and having a, a tight narrative and a, and a cool story to tell. And what they showed with Spider-Man, I played the same thing you did. starts off with open world, stop a couple of crimes here and there, and then it ends at this pursuit, and then a boss fight with Shocker. And I felt like the boss fight was maybe the weakest part of it. it For sure. Like, yeah. While it, was it wasn't hard. A- I thought it was really hard, that boss fight. I it was it was hard, but it was like it was very formulaic. It was like there's one way to do this. Are you doing it? No, then you lose. You know, right, right. Like by the time I figured out, like oh, 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 yeah, I had already putzed around in the world for you know, thirteen minutes, and it was a fifteen minute demo, and it stops at fifteen minutes, and I yeah. was like, ah, oh, darn it. 
<laughs> it, 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 it's very much Arkham in that sense too, where those games you have this fun open world and you're being creative with how you take down the villains and getting their fear up or whatever, and then you fight Killer Croc and there's there's one way to do it. So I, I realize it is a a potential flaw with this game, but I also understand what they're doing there. Uh, hopefully, there's more variety in the boss fights and they're not all that same way. If they're all they're each unique little puzzles, it could be really fun. I think it was an Arkham. Night and maybe City also. The Mr. Freeze fights were awesome, but they both had like a little puzzle to figure out and then only one way to take them down, but they were different than every fight you had done before. But flying through the city, and I don't know how uh, repetitive it's going to get, just like, crime down here, crime down here, or whatever, but it felt so good in the evolution of that Batman-style combat, but with Spider-Man, where there's a part where you're on top of this construction building, and I'm doing it, right? Like, I'm down on the ground punching dudes then i whip up and pull myself up onto a, a like a, a i-beam or whatever but as i land on it i spiral down shoot webs down at two other people that have guns to incapacitate them for a little bit land whip webs over onto exposed scaffolding and pull that down on top of two other people so for a moment i've isolated me in this heavy and i'm able to counter and slide under him and take him down before these other guys converge on me just incredible i i had heard it was hard i'll also humble brag again i was like on the leaderboards for arkham city back in the day this game felt so good it felt so good and if the whole game can be that way september can't come soon enough uh i'll leave it oh and bloodstained ritual of the night (laughs) uh yay i love i love that game so far i love that game so far uh, in the chat, um, some people were asking about Metro, uh, I, Metro mm-hmm. Exodus. I played yeah. it at, at length. Um, it's beautiful. Uh, there was a cool moment where I was like rowing a boat and then this shark demon mutant thing attacked and I yelped loudly enough that everyone in the place looked at me. Um, that was intense. Not a game for me. It's just not a game for me, but, um, I'm impressed with it. I, I appreciate it from afar. Uh, it's not a game for me, but I, I didn't think it was a great demo. Like, like the game looks, you know, the game world and the, and the, the, the greediness of everything looks like it's going to be cool. One thing I, I love they do in that game is um, you pull out your map and there's just one thing on it. Like you don't have yeah. side missions. You just yeah. got like, you got to get to this circle and then you have to look at your compass. You pull out like your compass with your other hand. Yeah. And you're like, just like, oh, I got to get there. And you have no idea how to get there. And it's going to be awful and grueling and you're going to die 12 times. But like it, it, it really doubles down on its, on its world and on the difficulty of navigating its world and dealing with its world. But I thought the demo was a little, like maybe lacked a little bit of that. It could have had more direction or could have had more. It's just, it's hard to pick a game like that up and just be like, okay, go. And you're like, yeah, this for is, sure. I'm trying to shoot things. I don't really know what the hell this gun's doing. Like, it was just not a great way to show it. But the end result, well, I think please fans for sure. Yeah. I also will say, uh, not to be negative, but the, the game that I was my biggest disappointment of the show uh, was Control, the new Remedy oh, game. Oh, no. Yeah. Really? Yeah. I, I didn't see it. Did you see it, Christian? I did. I really liked it. Really? I mean, it, feels, it feels, what was their last one? Um, um, Remedies. Quantum Break. Yeah, Quantum, Quantum Break. Break. It, right. it visually evokes that game. And, and I mean, she's got an awesome leather jacket. And you're like, oh, cool. It like, looks like... I, I think if this game nails what it's going for in terms of the building is the character, the way 
um, any a lot, so many great horror movies were able to pull off and what I think they're trying to do with this game. They're trying to make a third. I mean, they literally said this. They're trying to make a third person action Metroidvania. Uh, where great. The, I know that sounds awesome, right? <laughs> I just what I saw was like this doesn't this doesn't this looks bland and I was I really was it was like my first meeting of the day and I was all excited about my day and I was just like whoa this. It's not starting my day off right. I, it looked it looked really bland. It looked to me it looked really um, I, there's like a color palette that's just all washed out and drab and uh, How are the there's fonts a, were the fonts pretty good. Touche, <laughs> touche. Uh, but there's a moment where she like turns a lamp on and off 14 times to make the 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 room change, and I was like, really? She's gonna but flick that, a lamp. That- that's a classic yeah. of that genre puzzle, right? Where you, and you have to do it, and then you're seeing what's changing around you to do it. I'm hoping it's deeper <laughs> than just hitting X five times. That's what they did, though. They literally hit X five times. It looked like psyops. It's not psyops. Everyone was like screaming out psyops when we were watching yeah. that trailer. It looked. I mean, it, the side. I just. It looks so rote to me. And remedy used to be this trailblazing, uh, ambitious crazy studio that i loved i mean i love the max Payne games i love uh the alan wake games especially it just feels like they've fallen from that to me but i'm glad you liked it christian i I hope i'm wrong i'm excited for it i think the production quality is there in a big way everything looked i thought looked really clean and cool and i thought this building for being like a you know downtown washington uh fbi style building or whatever then seeing like dark corridors and haunted twisted kind of things and it looked like it had a sense of humor and in part of the demo there's like a they said it was a side mission you could do and some agents like he's like hello is anyone there and you come around the corner and the guy's like oh thank god uh, my task has been watching this demonic fridge for it's been so long will you help me and she's like no i can't help you and he's like oh come on <laughs> oh don't leave and she's like leaves and i i, I think remedies has a fun sense of humor in their games before uh, it looks like this game's going to have it. It looked early. I don't it expect very this early. Yeah. to be next year. But if they can pull off a 3D Metroidvania that handles the map well, which I think is very difficult to do because you can't – it's not – Metroidvanias work because you can see the whole map. So as you clear it, I don't know if it's the fog of war or whatever you'd call it, but when you clear areas and you look at it, you're like, oh, I need to go to the northwest. A 3D map, trying to turn that and figure it out, it's complicated. So I think that will be their biggest challenge. All right, so – Basically, what we have left to do is figure out our game of show. Based on what you've heard over the last almost two hours, it's not going to be easy. So we're going to take one last break, and we're going to come back, and we're going to hash it out. We're going to do this. But I have to thank our sponsor, Casper. You know, it's going to keep me up. It's going to keep me up at night uh, thinking about our game of show. Luckily, Casper Mattress is there to make me sleep. I I got myself a Casper Mattress. It came to my house in a really cool way. Uh, ordered it online. They shipped it right to me. All, all really cool. Wrapped up in this tight little, uh, cylindrical thing. It arrived at my house. I took out my little, uh, thing that they give you. It popped it open. It unfolded like magic in my house. Amazing. Amazing, Casper. So easy. You, old days used to happen that you, in order to get a mattress, in order to sleep soundly, you'd have to go to some big box store and sleep, lay down on a thing while some pushy salesperson is trying to get you to buy a mattress. No longer. Casper has taken out the middleman and makes it easy to get a mattress. You can save money. You can uh, you can get a really high quality mattress. They have 
the original Casper, uh, which combines multiple supportive memory foams for a quality sleep surface with the right amounts of both sink and bounce, but they also have two other mattresses, the Wave and the Essential. The Wave features a patent-pending premium support system to mirror the natural shape of your body, and the Essential has a streamlined design at a price that won't keep you up at night. And the Casper also has a bunch of other things beside mattress. They they, they uh, have all kinds of other products for a wonderful sleep experience, like pillows and sheets, to ensure you have a wonderful night, restful. That's what they that's what they want. And these are really well regarded. Over twenty thousand reviews with an average of four point eight stars across Casper, Amazon, and Google. These are uh, these are really good good mattresses that you'll sleep soundly on. But the best news is. They don't cost what these big box mattress stores cost. They have affordable prices because they cut out the middleman and sell directly to you. Even better than that, you can sleep on them for 100 nights before you have to make a decision as to whether you keep it. Casper has a 100-night risk-free sleep-on-it trial. That means you can sleep on a mattress. You don't have to decide in a few minutes lying on it in a store. You get to sleep on it for up to 100 nights. If you don't like it, they come to your house and they take it away for free. You don't have to pay. They give you your money back. It's great. But chances are you are going to like it, and you have 100 nights to make sure, which is pretty wonderful. Guess what? You can get $50 towards select mattresses by visiting casper.com slash DLC and using promo code DLC at checkout. Terms and conditions apply, so check it out, casper.com slash DLC. Promo code DLC to get yourself 50 bucks off. Upgrade your sleep. You'll enjoy it. All right, guys. Moment of truth. we got to figure out DLC's game of E3. And my personal... Here's the way I conceptualize my game of E3. It is what game do I wish I could take home right now and play it? What game do I wish was finished and they could just give it to me and I could go home and play it immediately? For me, it's a pretty clear... I mean, this game this year I think has more contenders than most, but for me, it's a pretty clear winner for me. That game is Ghost of Tsushima. Uh, it's a game I most want to play right now. It's a game I most wish I could just go home and it'd be done and I could just pop it right in and, and get started. There are other contenders that I, I think are up up for me personally. Uh, that would be Beyond Good and Evil 2. That would be Cyberpunk 2077. That would be um, uh, Division 2. Anthem, although I didn't get hands-on with it, but Anthem, I think if, if, you know, based on what Ben is saying and others I've heard, I think it probably deserves to be in the conversation, even though technically E3, EA wasn't at E3. Um, and... The last one that I would throw in there that actually would be shocking to uh, to win, I think, but I think actually deserves it, and based on what Christian was saying, I think it has a shot. Assassin's Creed Odyssey. I think that game actually does deserve to be in the conversation. It, I mean, the game looks very close to being done. It played great. They had a huge open world to play in. I got to play a lot of it, and it was very, very impressive. How beautiful was that water when it got shallow and you could like see the, uh, so pretty. Yeah. Oh my gosh. There's a, yeah, there's a part where I like, I didn't know how to dock my boat. Like I I took my boat from one Island to another Island. I was like, I don't know how to dock this thing. I just leapt off of it. I was like, Oh, there's a whole underwater thing. There's like a whole underwater world down here. It was amazing. I'm glad it only took us two hours to start talking about water effects. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) 
I mean, we can go back to talk about fonts again if you want. Um, <laughs> um, so I'm laying, laying my cards out on the table. I, you know, honestly, I would be up and Christian, you can argue for this and we'll, I'll hear you out. Uh, I'd be up for, for Spider-Man two years in a row. It just feels weird two years in a row. It feels weird. It also feels weird for me that Ghost of Tsushima is my number one game because literally it would be the third year in a row that I feel that way about a Sony exclusive. And I know already people like hate me for, you know, being all about Sony exclusives, but they're like the only company that's still making the games I like, which are big that's not true. third Tomb person. Raider. We didn't yeah, even talk right. about Tomb Raider. We didn't talk about Tomb Raider. It looks great. We talked about Tomb Raider in, in how much it's, it's like Madden. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, okay. So uh, Ben, what, what would be, I don't know if you've written an article already about your game of show, but what would be your contenders? I have written an article and I feel like I'm going to have to stick with it, even though after this conversation, it always kind of like confuses you and you're like, well, I, now I don't know. God. Yeah. Assassin's Creed was cool. Like Beyond Good and Evil was amazing. Um, uh, my top two are uh, Ghost of Tsushima and Cyberpunk 2077, just because, you know, they do totally different things and they do not just as games, but they do totally different things to me. Like, Ghost of Tsushima to me is a is a game that touches my my heart, my gaming heart. It's the kind of game I want to see made. I want I want it's kind of like what Red Dead Redemption was for people like yeah. I just want to play this game in the old west. They got to yeah. make a great cowboy game and then they did and everyone was stoked. This time period and more importantly this aesthetic, this specific artistic aesthetic uh channeling Toshiro Mifune, channeling Yojimbo honoring it in this very uh cool uh gamey video gamey way where it's not just like an adventure game but it's like an open world and it looks beautiful and it's got all the right music and and visuals and 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 script and everything Uh, that speaks to my heart cyberpunk 2077 speaks to my head and that to me is the game that i'm like you know, if I'm if I'm making a chart and I'm breaking down parts of games and I'm breaking down like which one of these is is kind of pushing all of the buttons that you could possibly push, um, it's doing it. And it's also, I think, more ambitious than Ghost of Tsushima. It's more ambitious than most of the games there, are, other than maybe Beyond Good and Evil. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's and ultimately, huge. ultimately, I think that's where I'm going to be headed. Uh, and and that's I think why I'm going to pick Cyberpunk 2077 because I, I go to E3 <laughs> not just to see games that are are cool and are coming out and are going to be playable and fun, but also to see people stretch and push and and wrangle and combine and do things that are crazy or cool or weird that may or may not succeed. Beyond Good and Evil too, you can make that argument for sure, but but that one's still way too far out. Cyberpunk. I mean, for no other reason, they had the balls to show me 50 minutes of gameplay yeah. uh, of that thing uh, for the very first time. And no one does that. You don't go to E3 right. and see a game that's been in development for that long for the first time and get a 50-minute demo. And they didn't have to do that, right? I mean, no. people were lined up down the hall outside the little room that you know CD Projekt Red has. They could have done... 10 minute demos. They could have done 20 minute demos. They could have done half an hour demos and got in double the people, uh, and, and still made a big impression on people, but they didn't, they, they like, they, you got to hand it to them for saying, no, we're going to show you a big chunk of this game and really show you what it's about. And, and, and you know, you, you make a good point that that's, that should count for something. I think so. It counts for something for me. And, and, you know, there's, there are games there that are more polished. There was, you know, smash and spider-man and games that are going to be coming out 
sooner and we are we know are going to be great. And there are a lot of things that can happen between now and Cyberpunk being great. Um, but it's not best game of 2019. It's best <laughs> game of E3 2018. Right. And that's the one. That's the one on everyone's lips. That's the one that I couldn't stop thinking about. So I'm going to do it. Cyberpunk 2077. That's mine. Christian, bring it home for us. What are your contenders? And then we start hashing this out. So I won't bury the lead. I will go through my my contenders in a minute, uh, and I'll explain my reasoning. But uh, I'm bummed that I didn't get to see the 50 minute demo. But it's yeah. cyberpunk, and and the, having I I read everything I could about this game leading up to it, and talked to everybody I knew on the show floor during these wonderful lunches I had, Jeff, uh, people that got <laughs> to, that got to see it. And to me, I think I tweeted this out during the show. Everyone else is still trying to make The Witcher three. Yeah. And CD Projekt Red is making Cyberpunk. I think that th- they they literally made the game that perfected obviously I think Ghosts might do it better. Some of these games might now do it better or, or Odyssey. Uh Assassin's Creed 2 O games. Um Odyssey might do it better. But they are pursuing that. I mean you mentioned during I think one of the press conferences it's the witcherfication Everybody talks about the destinyification of all these games, and people aren't really giving The Witcher the credit it deserves for how much it's influenced gaming. Yeah, and I think to have this studio that has done several of those, right, and they've evolved them from one to two to three, and kind of perfected it with three in terms of accessibility but depth, and to see them break from that and break from it in every possible way, other than that it's still also an RPG, but not wide open spaces, not beautiful vistas, not third person, not hand-to-hand combat. They were like, what has worked for us so well? What are we the best at doing? Get rid of all of it. Now let's do all of this other stuff. And the, the asterisk here is having not been in the demo, I didn't hear how many C and F bombs were dropped, and I didn't hear um, the voice acting. And, and I do think that could diminish the game for me. But I also think it's several years out, and I hope that that can improve. The, the idea that they've built... I don't a think bright... it is. I don't think it's several years out. I really don't. Well, I that's even it, better then. <laughs> I think it's fall 2019. Oh, I'd be very excited. Yeah. I think the fact that they've managed to build a bright, terrifying game is incredible. And again, I'm giving them credit for what they've said publicly, that this is not only a huge map like GTA, but also has these mega buildings. I think they said, I think, I believe, I've heard the quote that you can't go in every building, but they've made some of these buildings. It's like, oh no, you'll be in this building for four hours if you want with everything that there is to explore and do and see and track down. And that to me is is exciting in a way that um, other games aren't. So, Well, that's what it gives me a little bit of the Fallout vibe, right? Fallout feels like that. Once you go into a building in Fallout, it's like, oh, I could spend three hours in this building, you know, opening everything and sorting through all the stuff and reading all the terminals and, you know, yeah, for sure. So that's that's why my vote would go to cyberpunk other games it could easily go to and i think using your criteria jeff which i think is a good one which one if you could like steal the game and take it home with you it'd be last of us 2 right i mean it's the sequel to my arguably depending on the day most days favorite game of all time and this looks more beautiful and more intense than the last game i want to see where that story goes it feels like it's a return of the jedi where maybe there is a bright chapter 3 or, or there's redemption somewhere but you know, what does darkness do to somebody? We've seen Ellie as this beacon of hope for so long, both in the graphic novel and in the prequel DLC and in the game itself, where she's this savior in this thing and also a kid, just a kid. 
and what does growing up in this world do to somebody who is trying to find themselves and <clears throat> find love and deal with their purpose and meaning? I think that could that's a dark it's a dark world. I'm very excited for that. Um, Spider Man, I, I I think I'm gonna love it. <laughs> I think there's a good chance it might be my game of year. What they showed, what really made me feel good about that game is that. And I don't know if it was on purpose or not, but there was combat in close quarters and the camera never felt like it got lost. I did a boss battle in a bank. Um, I fought boots on the ground thugs in a whatever that was, a department store, convenience store that I flipped into for a minute. And the camera kept up with the pace and the action. I thought it was really cool. I'm excited to see the upgrades and perks in there. And then Smash. Um, It's such a complete game, it feels like. And I think it's going to... You know, hopefully Nintendo has learned their esports mistakes of the past and they'll support this game in a way. And mm-hmm. I think it's a game that they didn't need to put the love into. Um, and, you know, we joked about they spent five minutes talking about a changed voice file for a character. But imagine them talk like a developer talking about that for a game that you love and that you're passionate about. And like we went to this level, like for Ghost, right? They did all of the research for Feudal Japan or whatever to make this feel authentic. Smash changed voice tracks for characters to make it fit better with the moment and the speed of the game that they're creating. I, I think that goes a long way. Just, uh, just, I, I don't mean to take the wind out of your sails, but I did very directly um, ask Reggie about supporting this game in a similar way uh, that, you know, Blizzard has been supporting Overwatch or Activision has been supporting Call of Duty or Epic putting a lot of money into supporting Fortnite. Um, and he's like, nope. <laughs> he's like, uh. nope, nope. He's like, we, you know, we believe the community, you know, we support them to put it on their own tournaments. You know, of course we'll, uh, you know, we have our big tournament here at E3. And of course, you know, when they're at Evo and blah, blah, blah. But no, they're not going to build, uh, you know, a big league or they're not going to be investing in that. At least they, they certainly didn't indicate that in any way during E3. And if anything, they feel like they're doubling down on saying we want the people who know this uh, you know, esports, the rhythms of esports. I think also it's a younger audience, so they, they're not really sure how to deal with that. But yeah, but it's, it's a shame because the fighting game community is unbelievably passionate and unbelievably fun of the esports communities. Uh, yeah, when I was when I was working in esports, they were far and away the most kind of entertaining, and they have a great heart, and they're not quite as um, persnickety maybe as you get with uh, some of the MOBA uh, <laughs> communities. <laughs> That is a shame, especially because they showed, you know, the launch of the Switch. They showed Splatoon 2 as this eSport. <laughs> and it's like they've they've done their few events at E3, and it's a shame that they're not going to invest in it. And then no, also uh, Darth again in the chat. <laughs> Did you guys even see Fallout 76? Yeah, we haven't talked about it at all. And I don't think it's coming up here as Game of Show. <laughs> we, did no. not, we did not see it. They did no, not show they it did not. anywhere at E3. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I guess the big M. Night Shyamalan twist is that I'm the one that needs convincing on Cyberpunk, which is, I mean, if you no, heard, I'll take, I'll take Spider-Man. If you take literally Spider-Man. took, you know, you, any of the episodes leading up to E3, I was like doing cartwheels for Cyberpunk, telling everybody it was going to be my game of show. Uh, I, it I'm, was, it was, you were right. It is the game of show. I, <laughs> I would, lied. yeah, no, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm gonna co-sign on this, on this dotted line. I think it's gonna be our game of show. I mean, I think it was the clear game of the show. I mean, it's the game that was on everybody's lips. It was the game that I think is, is the most impactful thing. It's the game that when you think back on 2018's E3, it's the game that you'll think of. 
Um, I have some some nitpicks and 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 doubts about it as a game, uh, just based on my expectation of what I was hoping for. But it really is very impressive and uh, deserves, you know. I think Ben, you made a, a terrific argument that a, as a show piece of of E three, like how they debuted the game. Uh, what they showed and how they showed it. I mean, we didn't even mention the fact uh, Ben and I were sitting on a, you know, on a stool or a, a bench uh, in this theater watching it being played. And two people over from us was the guy sitting there with the controller in his hand playing it. I mean, it was the game. They were playing a game. It was not a canned experience. It was not a, a video we saw for 50 minutes. They were playing this game. And that's audacious. It's awesome of them to be that, um, open with with showing that much of the game and getting a, a real sense of how that world works. I mean, we saw driving. We Those saw cars tail lights. That's enough right there. Like, boop, 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 boop. <laughs> I was very glad when the car went into third person because I hate driving first person <laughs> in cars in in games like this. Uh, it makes me feel claustrophobic and not know where I'm going. And the interior of the car looks cool, but I was very glad they have an option. And I'm still hoping, I'm holding out hope that maybe there's just like. A, a, an option in the menu where I can play this game third person like I can in, you know, Skyrim. But it's um, interesting. There's so much customization for V and then it seems like possibly limited opportunities yeah. to see her or him. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's, there's a bunch of cut scenes that we saw, uh, like she'll get into an elevator or something and then it'll, it'll cut to an external shot. So you'll see your character as you design to them a lot, I think in the game as in story beats. But um, yeah, as you're playing, you don't get any of that cool. I love that stuff. But uh, I think you guys are right. I mean, I think it is the game of the show, and I'm I I would be happy to uh, make that the DLC game of show. Um, you know, with with all these other games that are that are real uh, solid runners up. Um, I think there are. I think as Ben started the show, the, our show with uh, this was a fantastic E3 with a lot of really excellent looking games, and. Um, uh, you know, I, I, I'm happy with the things I saw. I'm happy with the things we're going to get to play over the next, you know, six to 18 months. <laughs> uh, and, uh, yeah, I mean, I came out really enthusiastic. I'm really excited about, about what's going down. So, yeah. Yeah. A lot of great games. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, it could easily be Odyssey. It's such a great game. It's just, it's hard. It's hard. And again, a game where a year or two later, we didn't talk about it all and it's going to be, phenomenal yeah um, newness so is a big newness is a big commodity at e3 i mean just sure. something new you know i mean these all these games are going to be awesome i mean they're gonna they're gonna deliver we okay i take that rage. back we didn't talk they, about rage either oh i have purple hair for goodness sake they <laughs> could all go south we don't know battlefront 2 anything can happen but like <laughs> uh just in terms of, of of freshness and newness and that's why you go you don't go to e3 just to be like i want to see the 20th version of this other game i mean it could be there and it could be cool but you say like i want to get into that behind closed doors sneak peek at some thing that is trying something new and this game to me felt like it was doing it so i think i think it's the right way to go that's not to diminish all these other awesome games though yeah so there you have it cyberpunk 2077 dlc's game of e3 um this has been an awesome week of coverage it's been so fun having you back ben silverman thank you very much for spending uh, time with us tonight talking about the week that was it was even more fun uh, hanging out with you as much as I got to this week. It was really fun. Thanks. I, ho- I hope you got some, uh, um, what do you call it? Uh, what's the stuff you put on sunburns? 
uh, aloe. <laughs> yeah, aloe. I hope you got, got some aloe treatments <laughs> when you got home because this was the sunburn E3. All these <laughs> press conferences outside in 90 degrees, <laughs> blazing sun. It, it really was. Yes. It, it, that is my one wish for the future is if, if Microsoft decides to stay in their new venue, uh, tents or, uh, you know, co- coverings of some kind, please. Umbrella, umbrella hats. Umbrella <laughs> there you hats. Go. They get, they've done ponchos. They could do umbrella hats. <laughs> brutal. It was brutal this year. Oh, brutal. Uh, no June gloom for us in LA this year. Um, but thank you so much, Ben, for being here. Tell people where they can uh, keep up with you and the things you do online. Well, I am. Uh, I only do a little bit of editorial uh, these days. I have had a long career doing that. I still have uh, stories up on Yahoo Finance, if you believe uh, that Yahoo is still a property. It is still a property. It's still around, the Yahoo. Um, my uh, 10 coolest games of E3, actually, that story is on uh, Yahoo Finance. Um, so you can find it there under the tech uh, menu option. And then I think games, maybe even under that. Um, uh, from E3, actually, I did a little bit of writing for Xbox Wire. Uh, I should uh, say that uh, forthright, that I did some writing for them as well. So I've got some stuff there. And then most of what I do is actually not going to be seen by anybody. I've been doing consulting work, which means I go in and and see games as they're in development, and I try to make them better. I try to make games better and make better games. Um, so I, I do a little bit of everything these days. Awesome. Oh, and you can find me on Twitter at uh, underscore – sorry, actually, it would be at – Ben underscore Silverman. Very, very cool. Christian Spicer, purple haired one. Uh, what do you got going on this week? Twitter at Spicer. I'm going to tease a thing that I think, I hope it happens, but next week I've been working on a, on a, on a thing, um, a, a thing that people could wear. Um, I think it's going to be available next week. So I think Jeff's seen pictures of, of what it is. And I think is it, it is it, my human skin as a face. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's the perfect, it's a perfect, uh, thing for summer. Um, uh, oh, a, I'm excited. It, it's awesome. I'm, uh, I'm very excited for this. Yes. People should be yeah. excited. It looks cool. I think it should go up next and time for this show next week. So I'll talk about it next week. And then, and it, it has a, charitable side to it as well so i'm trying to iron down and get that text just right before it launches but look for that next week's show i'll also be tweeting about it and this that and the other and then a couple of other podcasts uh at least 20 more minutes goes out to patrons only patreon.com slash christian spicer on tuesdays and then goes public on the uninformed opinions podcast feed on fridays last week's episode were things that were not at e3 that maybe got overlooked i did more yoku's island express i talked about onrush and I talked about Bloodstained, the 8-bit one. So you can find that. This week's show um, is going to be uh, – it, I haven't recorded it yet, but it's its some things from E3 that I think could still be fixed. <laughs> it's come a long way, but I think there's still some problems, I think, is a plan for this week's show. And then Parenting Podcast, Department of Parenting. You can find links to that and everything at departmentofparenting.com. And I have other podcasts for you to listen to as well, including the Slash Filmcast. We're talking about movies and TV. We're doing The Incredibles 2 this week. Pretty excited about that. You can find that at SlashFilmcast.com. And also, We Have Concerns is a comedy science podcast I do. You can find that at WeHaveConcerns.com. I'm on Twitter at Jeff Kanata. And I want to say one more thing. I don't usually uh, advocate for specific things. Uh, I am moved to say this. Here it is, Father's Day. Uh, if you like the show uh, and uh, you like me in any way, uh, a wonderful thing, maybe you want to give me a Father's Day gift. I would appreciate if you took a second uh, and called your representative and said, hey, 
we shouldn't be separating parents from their kids. It's a pretty horrible thing. And uh, I have a hard time reconciling the fact that our country is doing that. I don't, I don't think it's a political issue. I think this is a human decency issue. And no matter how you vote, no matter who you believe in or what side you, you want to be on, I think we should all agree that parents shouldn't be separated from their kids as a form of punishment uh, for simply wanting to make a better life for them. Uh, here's a way to you to call your, your representative and express that. Please take a second. Please take a second to do this. Call 202-225-3121. That's 202-225-3121 and tell your representative, not in my name, please stop this. All right, guys, that's it for this episode of DLC. And that's it for this week of awesome E3 uh, content. I've been so, so pleased. Uh, Thank you all for being along on the ride on the, on the E3 hype train. Thanks especially to Sean Madigan, the, uh, the creator of the E3 hype train bumper that we get to roll out every year. I love it when we get to, um, we will ride off into the sunset one last time of E3 2018 on the hype train. We will be back next week with a regular episode until then think about what you put out into the world, make it a better place. Awesome.